0: Hello and welcome to Cherry Stem Number Nothing <laughs> to Cherry Stem Mind Bend. You guys are right here, yeah. All right, microphone change, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. I remember that. Um, all right, so welcome. Well, today we're going to talk about some awesome stuff. Uh, so it shouldn't be any different than the other day. But uh, for a moment, let me uh, direct your attention to the screen. If for those of you who are watching this live. Uh, for those of you who are not, I am showing a patreon.com slash Anna Cherry snapshot, and I would recommend you all check out the challenger mode um, to join us for after shows and other cherry stem related patron perks. You also, in case uh, you don't want to expose yourself to too much lewdness and nudeness, that is the perfect tier for you because things get hardcore after the hardcore level. Uh, So this podcast stream, live show, uh, future podcast is brought to you by listeners such as yourself and patrons. Thank you, patrons. You guys are awesome. I appreciate y'all you,
1: you guys rock
0: you do come let's grow our patreon family so if you can support us without hardship seven dollars a month challenger mode bing bang boom you're in get to do live shows today we're gonna be listening to a uh, a dialogue or a um, a lecture uh, if you will snippets of lectures anyway but i call it a dialogue because the first half is terence mckenna and the second half is jordan peterson and they talk about uh meaning and in fact i ran into a book um that opens with uh, jordan peterson's um a treatise on meaning and it's actually quite a large pdf that i will be including uh in the patreon post which are available for the public this is a public service uh, our patrons are amazing and they allow us to provide this to all of you free of charge etc and uh you can go check out once again patreon.com anna cherry bookmark it follow it you do not have to be a patron if you cannot uh handle that at the moment however you still get to have the benefits that our awesome community uh throws your way which is these audio files uh, of our talks as well as all the supplementary resources that that i put there and uh, jordan peterson's um I believe it is called Three, uh, Three Forms of Meaning and the Management of Complexity. And in fact, that is what this talk is about. Um, the, the special patron show uh, video that I'll be sharing is uh, talking about complexity and meaning, and uh, it's gonna be a natural conclusion of our talk today, and it'll be available for patrons only, so become one um, before the end of the show and you'll get uh, your very own access as well. We've also started recording these. Achieve
1: oneness before the end of the show.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We've also started recording some of these uh, patron after-show talks, and they are available for patrons only on Patreon. So there are some exclusive goodies. If you are a patron and you want to have exclusive access, you still get that. But we also get to have our public access for everybody else, uh, because we're a public service. (laughs) So this concludes your public service announcement. Um, Thank you again to our patrons and uh, Hopefully we can have a really interesting talk today Uh, We're gonna have a little bit of everything So let's transition into our conversation Uh, Looks like um, the topic today is uh, Psychology of self and meaning And with something that we touched upon in our Elephant in the Brain um, Show, which was a couple of uh, weeks ago, last month or so we. talked about the fact that there are things that, the real reasons that we tell ourselves why we do things that are not exactly the accurate, true reasons. And there's some compelling, interesting uh, neuroscience to back up the fact that uh, your uh, brain or your, your consciousness sort of uh, makes up a reason why you did something that other forces inside you forced you or pushed you to do and then uh, you're, you're sort of uh, executive function, your consciousness, uh, the the alive it's part of you. It's not making your,
1: this a decision as much as it's as it's making up a reason for why it happened.
0: Exactly, and so we got some neat neuroscience um, for that, and then of course uh, we're going to try to talk a little bit about you know um, consciousness, com- you know meaning, complexity, all of that stuff. Another book, I believe, that Jordan Peterson was in is called uh, The Psychology of Meaning, and it was published in 2013. So that's exactly what I was looking for. I was like, I'm pretty sure this got published before Jordan Peterson gave himself a, uh, a name that uh, would make him unpublishable in, in such books as The Psychology of Meaning that has you know a, a list of PhDs and other um, academics. Who uh, who talk about this sort of thing, but uh, but yeah. So um, let's start, I guess, from the beginning, um, wherever that is. <laughs> so, all right, making a decision using conscious versus unconscious thinking to solve problems, and then of course we have um, some neat PubMed studies too that talk about. Um, Essentially, the abstract uh, says that there has been a long controversy as to whether subjectively free decisions are determined by brain activity ahead of time. We found that the outcome of a decision can be encoded in brain activity of prefrontal and parietal cortex up to 10 seconds before it enters awareness. This delay presumably reflects the operation of a network of high-level control areas that begin to prepare an upcoming decision long before it enters awareness so simple straight to the point there's 10 whole seconds (laughs) that's a long time (laughs) 10 seconds is a really long time if you think about it in terms of brain activity and and otherwise um that uh you think you're like oh i need to move my hand to get the coffee cup. But that decision, that desire to do that, and the- Can,
1: can be as much as 10 seconds. As 10 as seconds. 10, seconds yeah, before moment.
0: you decided you wanted that cup. Right. So, I mean, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, what's that all about?
1: <laughs> what's that all about? Uh, Seriously
0: though, what is that all about?
1: Well, I think uh, it's it's because of the fact that there's, um, there's a wide variety of uh, brain activities that make up, uh, you know, Thought processes, and uh, so you know the the convergence of those processes from you know all the different things that are making up you. When you think about all the memories, all the experiences, all of those things that are combining together to make up a decision-making process. uh, Of course, there's going to be a uh, a lot of processing um, going on beforehand that is that is leading in a certain kind of trajectory uh, towards a, a given point. And, uh, I mean, even, uh, you know, that's one of the things that where a lot of people, I forget what it's called when they, uh, they talk about how, um, thought is very dependent upon language, mm-hmm. uh, and how, uh, it's something that, that people who have, uh, you know, I've noticed that I don't think there's much difference between, um, you know, uh, a lot of the Germanic languages uh, and uh, in, in the way that they have a trajectory of thought about that. But when you compare, compare uh, like I've noticed the way the, way the Japanese uh, compared to English or uh, Russian compared to mm-hmm. English, what a little uh, experience I've had in, uh, in those, uh, there is a, the etymology gives you a connection between concepts that is very different. And so we're oh, in Russian these- in
0: particular, as, as a fluent native Russian speaker, uh, it act- Russian. I, I believe that my language actually gave me uh, the love of etymology that I have because I'm obsessed with etymology. I love it. And the reason for that is because the way the Russian language works is you have a root, and then you have a suffix and a prefix, and the prefixes are set, the suffixes are set, and each one of them means something. It means towards, away from, under, over. And then the root itself is consistent. It's why it's called a root. It's consistent within the words that are related to that. And through that, you end up finding connections between words that, especially now that I've been speaking English for so long, and then going back to Russian, it gives it removes that latent inhibition that I was used to these words being how they are. And now I can look at them as, uh, you know, like oh, this word is actually related to that word. Like the word "pravda" for truth is related to the word "prava," which is the right, like your right hand, and also a right to have funny, something. But that's
1: like exactly the opposite of what I'm talking about. Well, that, is, that is a weird exception. Okay, uh, uh, sure. the, the fact that that right. And, oh, oh yeah, no, I'm not talking just about that. I'm just right. talking about
0: the truth and rightness are associated with themselves. Uh, in Russia that's the same root for both right. truth and being right. I know, but that's instance. a very
1: arbitrary connection. It's funny, I mean, we were talking about that yesterday, yeah, yeah, we but it's that, that's a like very, very exceptional uh, like circumstance that where there is no particular reason why there is an association, uh, whereas most of the time the associations between words and their roots uh, give a, a, a connection or hierarchy or association between topics and ideas that uh, is kind of preloaded with your uh, learning of language. And there's a... Well, that seems
0: to be perfectly related though, because like truth and being, like uh, if you are right about something, that means you're speaking the truth, you know, because truth, pravda, prava, it's like it's in the root of it all. So it's not arbitrary. It's, it's, I Oh, wait a minute.
1: Maybe we're talking about two different things and I didn't understand you, because I was talking about uh, how the direction right versus left of right, mm-hmm. vers- a- and and having a no, some it's a
0: being right as like uh, being accurate, being oh correct okay, about well because
1: we were just yesterday. All right, then that's my fault because uh, we also were talking about how there's this weird uh, connection between you know different the direction right versus a legis you know a, a legislation of you know uh, a right you know like what what rights you have and the fact that those two two words are the same word in both English. And in Russian, it's the same word. Also, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, a weird man. thing. It is no, a weird There's No apparent reason right. for them to be associated, unless there is a common link between no, but the Russian. Language. But in
0: Russian, let's let's right. just uh, let's explore pravda. Uh, so pravda is truth, which is also related to uh, rule, pravila. So mm-hmm. like rules on how to behave, okay. and also related to how to be uh, to to be right, as in like you're accurate about something, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's. Yeah, my expectation
1: yeah. was in totally the wrong direction.
0: Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I I couldn't think of a example, other different example, fast enough, and so we were just talking about it. So you know, it is my bad for for adding something that was, <laughs> we just talked about last night no, in a completely great. different it's great. context.
1: I think it's great because it, it, it you know talking we're talking about the uh, the trajectory of thought. That's where your mm-hmm. expectations, where mm-hmm. you when you interpret what somebody means, you have all these expectations that you're using. Uh, as shorthand, because we, we talk whenever we're, we're having a conversation, we're relying on all this context mm-hmm. uh, for a person to interpret what we're saying. And 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 whenever we're interpreting what somebody is saying, we use all of these, you know, so many different ideas of why they may be saying what they're saying to be able to in you know, extrapolate information that isn't actually present in in the speech. Right. So and if so, you can't so find I it. I was in the word, like then. for instance, I was using last night's context. It went and, and that was incorrect. And that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. People use the wrong context, misinterpret each other, and uh, and there's people who believe that's like, well I'm saying very precisely what I mean. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. Language itself requires all of this, you know, reliance upon shared meanings and shared mm-hmm. experiences and uh, so it's, uh, yeah, so when we're talking about like a trajectory of thought being like all of these various things adding together to uh, to make up you know a um, a, a general direction, uh, and if you have multiple things that are all headed kind of in the same direction, there is a convergence that it comes to, and so yeah, I mean this is a basically a, a very uh, mechanical version of us that that people really dislike they hate the idea of, of human beings being uh, and our thoughts being in any way mechanical or not utterly under our control but uh, you know the more you actually get into the science of things you you can't really hold that magical belief that we're you know that everything going on inside uh, you know our mind is is a is this magical thing disconnected from the function of the brain uh,
0: so. And even a more uncomfortable thing other than, uh, aside rather from, from that, is the fact that um, as we were talking about uh, during the summer spotlight for the elephant in a brain, is that human beings uh, are primates and primates are political animals. And so our brains are designed not just to hunt and gather, but also to help us get ahead socially, often through deception or self-deception. Uh, but while we may be self-interested schemers we also benefit by pretending otherwise the less we know about our own ugly motives the better and thus we don't like to talk or even think about the extent of our selfishness that is the elephant in the brain yeah so uh, hence why we're talking about decisions being made ten seconds before you actually make them there is and then um, your brain uh, the, the conscious part of your brain is like, I made that decision because of X. And and what is that? Why is it telling you that story? Why, why is that, that story important? Why, you know. And why is
1: that story so often wrong? If you've really right. actually spent some time um, uh, you know questioning yourself and not having just absolute certainty in all of your own thoughts and all of your own motivations and all your own... I mean if you've ever had any real humility basically uh, in, your, in your life and about yourself, then you, then you recognize that you that you know, people lie to themselves first. And, uh, and so why do we do that? Yeah, a lot of the time is because it's, there's a natural automatic process to um, basically it, it's like drinking. You know, it's like it's like getting drunk. You, uh, you know, when somebody does something uh, bad when they're drunk, uh, if it's just kind of rude or whatever like that, we can We tend to sort of like, oh, well, they're drunk. It's not really their fault, mm-hmm. you know. And the truth of the matter is, yeah, no. The upstream, they decided to get drunk, so with their decision, if, if they had hit a child because they decided to drive because they got too drunk to make the decision to not drive and they ran over a child, yeah, they had no intention of, of, of killing a child, but they did have the negligence of controlling themselves. And the same thing is true of consciousness. Whenever you are, uh, we, we kind of tend to uh, want to not notice what's going on in our own heads so that we don't have to feel like it's our fault when we do shady shit. Uh, you know, that's, that is, there is a level of throwing away about re- personal responsibility in not being, you know, not doubting ourselves, not questioning ourselves, not looking for our real own uh, our own motivations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so that's my my goal and hope uh, in bringing up this research is to to point out and to extrapolate uh, how it is that we may we maybe through being able to see that there are decisions being made for you by. The rest of your brain, which is, in my opinion and expertise, is everything, all the experiences that have happened to you, uh, all the lessons that you've learned, they taught you how to be and, uh, and what is valuable and what story to tell about who you are and then we also have you know primal instinctual and political uh, and self-delusional drives and so there's this interesting dance between you know what our instincts want and push us to do and then the stories we tell ourselves as to why we did it um and so if we want to Go a little bit more into depth about the specific uh, article of or the the studies of the ten seconds because you know it's it's a it's a pretty um, bold claim so yeah, I can yeah, certainly def- talk about how let talk about the, the, the how it was done yeah. yeah so um, the methods yeah so the brain makes up its mind about ten seconds before and, you there's realize more it. than
1: one uh, yes. you know study about this this, this oh there that. it
0: goes back right. to the eighties like right. it's, they, yeah. they've
1: been they've been doing this for a long time yeah. in a variety of ways
0: it's just this specific one gave an exact sort of number and so let's talk about that number. Uh, the 10 seconds uh, before your re- uh, your mind, uh, your brain rather making up its mind, <laughs> um, uh, your brain making up your mind, <laughs> 10 seconds before you realize that, according to researchers, well, um, they're looking at brain activity um, while people were making decisions, and researchers could predict what choices people would make before they themselves had an idea. So that's compelling. Um, The work calls into question the consciousness of our decisions and may even challenge ideas about how free we are to make any choice at any particular time. So here's a quote from um, a neuroscientist at Max Planck Institute of Human Cognitive and Brain Sciences in Leipzig, Germany, who led the study. And he said, uh, his his name is John Dylan Haynes, and he said that we think our decisions are conscious, but these data shows that consciousness is just the tip of the iceberg. The results are quite dramatic. Uh, said Frank Tong, and you're a scientist at Vanderbilt in Tennessee, the school that rejected me. 10 seconds is a lifetime in terms of brain activity. Yes, yeah, yes it so is. It's
1: huge. It's just a monstrous in, period of time. 10
0: seconds is a lifetime. Uh, imagine yourself being in pain or in an awkward situation or time, 10 seconds is a long time just, just in holding, uh, holding a hand,
1: hand in a fire for the count of 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and We're know, only halfway through, folks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, that's a, 10 seconds is a long freaking time.
0: And for neur- uh, neuronal activity, it is a lifetime. Like things happen on a millisecond level uh, in inside brain uh, brains in terms of brain activity. So, 10 well, one other
1: thing I wanted to hit on real quick mm-hmm. before sure. we continue forward is just the idea of that. That the the other thing that's really important is understanding how much of our ideas, our opinions, things like that, are handed to us in childhood, and we never actually make any conscious decision to have certain beliefs and attitudes about things. Like one of the things that that was one of my favorite. Well. Uh, uh, I I wouldn't call it favorite necessarily, but it a uh, a good example of uh, of beliefs handed off to children. For instance, is like this commercial from Super Soaker, where there's this uh, where this one kid has a little you know tiny you know uh, not not affluent uh, squirt gun, where it's this smaller one, and all the other kids with their Super Soakers then surround that child and spray it, and it's just it's obvious that this child has been surrounded. Uh, you know, has, like literally has been cast out by the group. It is, it is, uh, no, because of their, uh, not having the, the, you know, the affluence to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to have the correct item, uh, you know, that, that shows their affluence. Uh, and to be able to compete means that they that they are you know going to be rejected by all of society, and so there's you
0: know, you know there's that, just... that's actually really really fascinating you you bring that up because on one hand uh, obviously we there's a term for it I, for, I forget right now what it's called but there's a way to uh, its advertisers targeting children in order for children to nag their parents to buy that particular item. But the fact that they're using social ostracization as the main driving force. And also there's a Disney commercial um, that is slightly less heavy handed, but is a similar one to that. And uh, this actually reminds me of something that I personally witnessed on the playground. Uh, when we were doing an ingress farm. There's a lot of kids running around and one of them was wearing a cross. And uh, actually, uh, there's a couple of kids and I overheard one of them Mom saying to the kid, Hey, wear your cross, or something about getting a cross or wearing a cross. And the, curl, uh, the, the kid didn't really want to. And then later, some other kid was like, Look at my cross. I got a cross. It's so cool. And then that first child went to their parent and asked for a cross to be able to have one, whereas before they didn't want one. And it was entirely, uh, essentially, uh, Something you would think that is is too cynical or too adult for kids to be engaged in, uh, basically a social concern, uh, mm-hmm. feeling like you're going to be left out if you don't have the same items as like that's adult problems. Yeah, know
1: um, it's not. It starts so much earlier, right? And that was just really and, fascinating. And just how to much our, of our environment is constantly giving us these lessons that a lot of times are just completely false. Uh, and these ideas about what people will do, how they'll behave, what it matters, what's important, what will get what will get you love, what won't, uh, you know, what will get you hate. Now, all of those things. Yeah, are, I guess
0: at, at the base it comes back to: Are you going to be supported by the group? Are you going to be an outcast? And that sort of level of survival as a gregarious group of animals that we are is yeah, primates. basically
1: that's, being being cast out as a gregarious animal is yeah, a death sentence yeah. when you are, and that's why it's so important to all of us. So yeah, that's one of the the most you know direct drives. most painful
0: area, yeah right? thing to 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 yeah, touch. I mean, if,
1: yeah, prison prison is most uh, sensitive. Is, is, you know is not about you know torturing people it's really a, well, the, the biggest part is the isolation That's when they put you in, in solitary confinement as right? an extra punishment as the as the worst punishment yeah. is, is to keep to keep you from you know socializing is that one of the most painful things you can yeah. do to a uh, to a human being
0: I mean yeah. house arrest prison solitary confinement just different levels of uh, removing you from society that is you know good and beneficial and there for you and loves you Yeah, the
1: society that does.
0: Right, Right, yeah, removing you from a society that loves you, which is one of the primary, the primary mode of survival for gregarious animals. So going back to that quote, politics are extremely important. Getting people to like you is extremely important to our primate instinctual drives. Um, You are, uh, your, your survival is affected by people liking you. And so honesty and people liking you don't always they're not always the same thing they really
1: don't they don't go together (laughs) they really really
0: really really don't
1: yeah honesty Um, as a matter of fact is one of the things that gets you really fucking hated uh, yeah, but, <laughs> so
0: we frequently talk about politicians and the fact that if you are a politician, the point is to get everybody to like you, but that is sometimes fundamentally impossible fucking possible because there's so many yeah. polarized ideas and yeah. So groups. that's why they become
1: liars, and yeah. a lot of times I, I think that they believe their own completely. But well, uh, they a, have to. I, I think a lot of times a good pol- politician—I don't mean necessarily highest level, but a person who is at their you core, mean good at
0: being elected or good at uh, being a policymaker
1: no i mean good good at being elected okay. i mean the, so politician, the, being good at the yeah. popularity game let's right. say a politician in high school you okay. know it's like they, they they are they are a shattered mind in general because they cannot possibly uh, satisfy all all uh, the, a large group of people when all those various groups have very conflicting ideas and ideals and that's why they end up becoming, they feel like they're, they tell themselves, oh, I'm a chameleon. I can fit mm-hmm. in any group. And the truth of the matter is they just have conflicting ideas about everything. They don't have one real uh, certainty about uh, how they should act, who they should be, what is real, what is true. Yeah, and none of those things. So their their mind itself is uh, holds on to and keeps all these mutual exclusivities. And so they they actually become all these various people. They feel like, oh, I'm a chameleon. I can fit in any group. And that is it's that's just another one of those those self deceptions we're talking about. It's mm-hmm. like no, no, you just can't help but become whatever you're around uh, because that's how you set up your mind.
0: Because you have (laughs) drives deep inside you that your consciousness is blinding you to by making up excuses, (laughs) but your actual true drive is to be one with the group because there's valid reasons for that. And that's when they're
1: kind of aware of the level of lying they do, but even those people a lot of times will not be aware of exactly how much they are lying to themselves and lying to people around them because, well... When, when you don't have any real opinion, are you actually lying if you if you represent these completely opposite ideas from one moment to the next but don't have any real, Solid opinion because that you, 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 you partially
0: don't have any stake in the ground, so you're just kind of open to everything.
1: Right. Well, not just open to everything. You actually believe multiple things that are well, that right, are completely right. in opposition. But, to but that's
0: right. that's the story they tell themselves that they are open to all ideas. Right. They, they tell themselves right. they're open
1: to, it, but the truth of the matter is their mind is shattered. Right. It doesn't have any uni- unity, and so they uh, so they actually do believe these various things. So they're not really necessarily lying.
0: But for our audience to understand that, that we need to you know discuss the fact that uh, if you and once again we'll go back to that with Jordan Peterson, if you do not have certain hierarchies of meaning in your mind, your mind cannot function. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we talk about postmodernism as being as pernicious as it is. A lot of that has to do with uh, disjointed ideas, which makes your brain not function all that great. Uh, Systems are terrible, but systems are necessary. I will forever quote Stoya on that one thing. She's absolutely right. Systems are terrible, but systems are necessary. And they're terrible because they keep Things and people and ideas locked in that shouldn't necessarily be locked in, but they're also absolutely necessary. We have to have a hierarchy of meaning, a hierarchy of value, a hierarchy of importance in order to navigate the world.
1: I just had one of those paranoias that we're like not broadcasting or anything like that. Can you, you can check; it's okay. happened before. So it's like, oh my god! It, it also right. Okay. Yeah, no, I,
0: I've I've gotten pretty good at it. Okay. Uh, and I'm I'm pretty sure we got volume. Yep, we got we got okay, sound.
1: Okay, we're not we're not muted. We're not, we're not right, muted.
0: Right. We've been live for thirty minutes. <laughs> we got viewers. <laughs> we're good. But that's that's good that that it would if it was wrong, it would have only been thirty minutes in instead of an hour. or two. Yeah, <laughs> so. Okay. Good, no, good. I traumatized you pretty bad with that yeah, nearly yeah, no, two I'm, hour.
1: Like, this, oh my god. <laughs>
0: So, so, yeah, we're so going you want to, to
1: talk get... about the uh, the methods on this yeah, uh, yeah. this particular 10-second thing? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I felt like that was an important sort of mm-hmm, sure. when We talk about uh, all of those
0: various things, and then we'll we'll circle back around to. Well, uh, oh, eventually, i want to get and,
1: to like collective unconscious, and mm-hmm. you know. And oh, absolutely!
0: Okay. I would love that because that's essentially what the culmination of the show will be with the patron after chat is the Jordan Peterson, Terrence McKenna, complexity of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, Duet. <laughs> yeah, and it's,
1: it's funny. We've actually hit on something. I was writing today in the uh, the in, in my group. Yeah, uh, and it was just a um, talking about the, the the having completely unstructured association as part of the a mental uh, framework mm-hmm. where it's just this is associated with that, this is associated with that, and there's no there's no overarching system. For, uh, of constraining those associations in any shape form or fashion and because there's no because there is no constraining structure there is no way to predict a new association you understand what I mean it's kind of hard to explain but no, it's like um, uh, if you uh, if you have a bunch of let's, let's say we have a bunch of like uh, knobs sti- sticking out of a surface that you could wrap a string around. Mm-hmm. If you could just wrap strings around in all of these various different uh, ways, then you couldn't, you know, navigate through the knobs in any way, right? But it, so it's not like a tree. It's like a, just a big old tangled mess. But then there is when when you have something like a tree. A tree grows in, in a way that has a sort of hierarchy to it. In other words, there are associations from leaf to to s- small stem to larger stem to the trunk. And you know, and so there are all these ways in which there are associations, but there is a constraining structure to the association. And so I think that that in human minds there are there. Is, and what is the constraining we have both structure of
0: those. other than language?
1: Yeah. Well, one of them's yeah. language, but the other is where, where, where we're going to talk about meaning. True. True. And so how, how it is? But
0: language is they're both. So it's
1: like how you predict. It's two sides the,
0: of the same coin. How you predict
1: and the future is based upon some. Uh, it, it's basically like when you think about what's going to uh, what direction is. Are new leaves going to grow? and new branches going to go? Well, they're going to be constrained by the previous branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, if you just have a, a a big mixed up pile of you know of growing vines going in all different directions in a tangled mess, there's there is no ability to predict anything mm-hmm. that's going to happen to that tangled mess in any way. And so that so that is the ability for prediction that comes from what we think of as intellect, as real, useful, innovative intellect, it comes from the structure and the constraining of the structure. But it also requires that the right connections. In other words, it requires that associative mm-hmm. uh, part of a of a tree of um, tree of knowledge that we're constantly growing. Uh, of our, but the, the 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 fact that it has a, a constraining structure over the top of it, uh, you know, as a as part of a. I can't explain it in any other way, but that that leads to prediction, and so that's the that's the whole point of where. Um, that I think that we have both a completely unconstrained associative framework that we can have in our minds, that that uh, is kind of necessary for exploring the absolute unknown, but uh, and that I think that that animals have uh, lack a level of structure that humans have gained in their de- in the development of consciousness. In other words, what we think of well, as I would, consciousness, it is a, it is that associative structure. So I, I
0: would even say that. Um, as, as you you just you skip past so many points that I want each one I was like ah stop now I, I, I want to talk about like every one of those
1: <laughs> oh, I know well it's, it, it links to so many things right exactly say, say exactly. something extremely complex in the most concise possible terms oh boy
0: yeah. <laughs> that's not an easy feat uh, but you know it's it's really fascinating that you talk about that uh both prediction as well as constrained by structure because I believe that uh, language and meaning are two signs of the same coin, and that we are constrained by the structure of our brains, which has evolved past animal brains, and how has it evolved in the most important way? Language. And so there's this really interesting thing about neuroscience where- uh, Excellent point. And I, and I found that uh, as well here, where uh, when you think of a certain word, your brain can't help but think of all the other words that are associated with it. So we're talking about association based on language, but then it gets filtered in terms of meaning. And so there's this really great study and we're going to talk about this later. Oh but my
1: God. And, and, and let me also tell you that this relates to the idea of the collective unconscious from Jung mm-hmm. uh, specifically because he, he, what he's talking about is the way that there are these stories and things in instinct mm-hmm. and how that relates to language is that now with the, with the ability of Carnegie uh, Mellon University uh, we'll to to you know be able to pick out not just words but phrases uh, and complex phrases etc from the brain shows that there is a uh, uh, that there is a existing set of uh, symbols and structures in the brain that are interrelated that are that, uh, that all these various humans have which mm-hmm. is the basic the basic idea behind the collective unconscious mm-hmm. is these pre uh, pre Program structures of meaning in the brain, you know that are genetically uh, Put there
0: interesting as yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about tracking the semantic threads um, Here's a quote from one of the researchers and I will we'll talk about the study later But well the set of studies, but and this is a Princeton. Oh, they're talking about um, Someone will start thinking of a chair and then their may, uh, mind wanders to uh, the chair of a corporation, then to Chairman Mao, and you'd be surprised, <laughs> end yeah. quote. So, you know, it goes from just the, the actual chair, then to a chair of a, a board right. of directors, then to Chairman Mao, and Mao. And so they, you know, uh,
1: yeah, the, the associative
0: the, threads, right. semantic the, the, threads.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the, the giant, the, the hugeness of the leaps that can occur makes mm-hmm. it, that's what makes it so difficult to really with any, you know, reliability predict what somebody's thinking. But, but it's there, still but compelling are, that it's- But there is a probability density. That's kind of the point, is that there is a, in other words, it's still associated in, in a certain way. There is a way in which you can go from one to the other, and it's not just completely from magic. It's not ex nihilo, uh, nihilo. Mm-hmm. it's it's just, it's not coming from nowhere. There right. are prior exactly. things that build up faults.
0: And that's exactly my point, uh, thank you, that basically non sequiturs or, uh, not Freudian slips, because I feel like Freudian slips are a little silly, Uh, for the most part but in terms of like non sequiturs when you're talking about one topic and then uh, a person will come up with like will say something that just seems like to completely not go with it whatsoever and they themselves feel like it doesn't go with them well that's really not true as we can tell through neuroscience that there are associations that have been lit up in their brain these semantic threads that their brains have followed without their consciousness keeping up with it. And then they, you know, they presented it and then their brain's like, oh shit, why did I say that? Oh, well, duh, I can't find any reason because all that's buried deep in the subconscious. So I guess it must be for no reason, you know? Um, so, so yeah, um, uh, definitely a lo- a, like a lot of really good stuff. I want to talk about all of it all at once. Okay, let's get to the Okay, 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 okay. one by one, one by one. All right, so how did they do this, uh, the study in particular with the 10 second thing? Well, um, Haynes and his colleagues, uh, emit- imaged, imagined, (laughs) they imaged brains of 14 volunteers who were performing decision-making tasks. The volunteers were asked to press one of the two buttons whenever they felt the urge to. Each button was operated by a different hand. At the same time, a stream of letters was presented on screen at half-second intervals, and the volunteers had to remember which letter was showing when they decided to press their button. When the researchers analyzed the data, the earliest signal the team could pick up started seven seconds before the volunteers reported having made their decision. Because uh, of the delay of a few seconds in the imaging, that means that the brain activity could have begun as much as 10 seconds before the conscious decision. The signal came from a region called the frontopolar cortex at the front of the brain immediately behind the forehead. This area may well be the brain's region where decisions are initiated, says Haynes, who reports the results online in Nature Neuroscience. The next step is to speed up the data analysis to allow the team to predict people's choices as uh, the brains are making them. So uh, essentially, that's how what the letters are for. I think they're just tracking the time. But uh, yeah, they told them randomly press a button whenever you feel like it, and then just tell us what button was on the screen. And what like, letter? I mean, what letter? I, yeah, I, don't, I, I actually honestly I don't really understand the letter part. Like, why is that for? You, I don't
1: no, care. it's just to, it's just to give a marker. They have to keep oh, changing okay. it so that uh, they have to have something that's different each time. It's something that you know, and it has to be a familiar system. So you use letters, and, and that way they can sit there and keep giving letters. Uh, in a sequence, that, uh, and then whenever a person. it's makes true. It I forget
0: uh, it's been really quite a while since I've uh, studied specifically psychology because it was my two first years of of college. the The latter of three were neuroscience. Uh, but, yeah, I forget that in psychology experiments, you have to uh, lie to people in a way. You have to add things. Um, You can't just test one thing because then they'll know what you're testing so you always have to add some other things So a lot of times whenever you're looking for attention testing or testing of something else you're telling people that you're I'm testing your um, Memorization well you actually you're testing their um, You know bias or something and so you always have to tell them or or give another stimulus uh, for them to Sort of distract from the real right. There's some, yeah. there's
1: some level of um, you know creating controls and creating and, and trying to eliminate bias that you always have to include,
0: and yeah, in so the that theory. they yeah, so that uh, you get the most honest results possible. Um, now, but this uh, the results are built on some well known work on free will. Uh, done in the 80s by late neuropsychologist Benjamin LeBay then at the University of California, San Francisco. LeBay used a similar experiment set up to Hayes, but with just one button and measuring electrical activity, so not uh, MRIs, in the subject's brains. He found that the regions responsible for movement reacted a few hundred milliseconds before a conscious decision was made. So even back in the 80s, we, we had evidence that the muscles already had the signal to move before you knew it in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, uh, But LeBay's study has been criticized in our intervening decades for its methods of measuring time and because the brain response might merely have been a general preparation for movement rather than activity relating to a specific decision because it's, it's kind of hard to know the right. just so the electrical they, activity they that they, carried they made this. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, Haynes and his team improved the method by asking people to choose between two alternatives, left and right. Because moving the left and right hands generates distinct brain signals, the researchers could show the activity genuinely reflected one of these two decisions. But the experiment could limit how free people's choices really were, says Chris Firth, who studied consciousness and higher brain functions at University College London. Although subjects are free to choose when and which button to press, the experimental setup restricts them to only uh, these actions and nothing more. Um, He says the subjects hand over their freedom to the experimenter when they agree to enter the scanner. Um, So essentially they're not free really to do anything other than left or right. So the, the freedom is limited to two choices.
1: Yeah, which I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what the saying, point yeah, of that I, I, is. <laughs> I'd like to exist in England right now. You know, it's like I don't have that freedom to do so. It's you know, there's a. So lot. I
0: guess that the point is, what does that mean for the nebulous concept of free will? Yeah. Um, uh, and if, free
1: will is an absurdity uh, when when taken. You know, uh, you have to understand free will is is within limitations at all times, and so therefore. Well, when you start to recognize it's within limitations, and you start looking very closely at those limitations, the limitations start to grow and grow and grow until you recognize that a lot of it is uh, is not nearly as uh, as as free as we, we would like to believe.
0: Yeah, the uh, if uh, choices really are being made several seconds ahead of awareness, quote, there's not much space for free will to operate, uh, Haynes says, but results aren't enough to convince Frith that free will is an illusion. Uh, "Quote: We already know our decisions can be unconsciously primed," he says. "The brain activity could be part of this priming as opposed to the decision process." He adds, uh, "Part of the problem is defining what we mean by free will." Uh, but results.
1: Yeah, and so so you know you take these yeah. results with things like unconscious priming that he's talking
0: about. Yeah, now, because neuroscience will neuroscience will alter what we mean by free will. Because right. if we have evidence like this, we you know we have to adjust our meaning of what.
1: Yeah. yeah and well not just that our colloquial I- ideas of free will are absurd uh you know just the the, the, the kinds of you, know, you go out on the farm and you know and, and talk to people their idea of free will is just you know it's not going to be anything remotely similar to what's real uh, it's just you know they're going to have these uh, completely absurd ideas of it um so yeah there's uh but the, the point is in, in neuroscience you look at things from a wide variety of angles like the uh like uh, these studies of unconscious priming, which I wish uh, we um, we could we could talk about some of the unconscious priming things. But I mean, I guess there's there's. You
0: know, uh, you I, want... I have something.
1: Okay, good, good. Let's do that.
0: Um, so I'm I'm uh, f- uh, torn whether I should talk about the uh, constraints of structure of brain and language that allows neuroscientists to predict what words people will use because we we definitely have that. We can get back to that. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, so uh, all right, approximately a decade ago. Um, and this was written in 2017, so yeah, very recent. Uh, approximately a decade ago, um, academic circles were set abuzz um, by a set of online stu- oh, sorry, online, By a set of studies that had produced some curious findings. The experiments went like this: a group of college students, with nothing better to do and eager to earn a little beer money, were split into two groups. Each participant was asked to select the better of two apartments, or automobiles, or some other common consumer product. Although one man's palace can be another's prison, the studies were designed such that one of the two options would be objectively superior. That way, there would always be a right answer. Both groups of students were given the same information to consider before making their decisions, although some were given data about a greater number of attributes so that the researchers could distinguish between simple and complex decision-making. As it turns out, at least in some cases, the students made better decisions, that is, more frequently selected the superior item if, before making their choice, they were subjected to a period of what is known as deliberation without attention. Basically, if the students were made to solve anagrams or word search puzzles for a few minutes, also known as meditation, um, instead of thinking about the problem that they had been assigned, the quality of their decision-making improved. What's more, the effect seemed to become more pronounced as the complexity of the scenario increased. So, TLDR, if you let your subconscious stew on something, It'll do a better job than you're conscious of do of making the right. Decision. In other
1: words, you've got background processing uh, that's actually occurring. Yeah. In other words, your brain is not just doing what it's doing right at this moment; it's doing other shit too. You're you, thinking out problems. And
0: you don't necessarily know it. You, yeah. You, no,
1: you're completely, completely unaware, unaware. Of, the, uh, of background. You may processing. feel like
0: you're zoning out or something. You feel like you know, like you're,
1: yeah, well, something, uh, but. Yeah. But there's a but we stew on things. We have background processing occurring. Uh, uh, Like at all times.
0: Mm -hmm. And of course, this conclusion stands in stark contrast to what we think we know about thinking and problem solving. Uh, Intuitively sophisticated problem solving requires deliberacy, consciously considering the problem before even rendering a conclusion. This wisdom is tied up in the aphorisms, those stories we tell ourselves about what we think and why we think it. Um, Aphorisms that include um, that that what words? Hold on. aphorisms that we inculcate in young physicians think before you act don't just do something stand there (laughs) love that yeah ah haste makes mistakes etc still doctors immediately took note and rightfully so We are constantly making complex decisions under conditions of risk and uncertainty, and in our world, the consequences of a bad decision are a lot more severe uh, than getting stuck with a card that's a lemon for a few years. If we could improve decisions simply by replacing conscious deliberation with a brief period of distraction, it would represent a great and essentially costless step forward for us and, of course, the patients of these doctors.
1: And also, it's a, it's a great uh, study to talk about whenever your boss gives you shit about uh, browsing online uh, when, when, you, when you theoretically should be working. I am working. It's just a background process.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, so, alas, when things appear too good to be true, they usually are. Contrary to our hopes and dreams, the value of deliberation without attention has failed to be validated in anything resembling a clinical environment. In fact, substantial questions have been raised about the existence of this effect in any context. A comprehensive meta-analysis, for instance, found that although a number of the supporting studies did demonstrate an effect in the, right, in the hypothesized direction, they also very often failed to reach the level of statistical significance. The same meta-analysis also concluded that conscious thinkers were more successful at both identifying the top choice and distinguishing between more mediocre options studies that have found uh, focused exclusively on clinical context have some similar conclusions. The takeaway is that there's no reason to believe that practicing physicians, then this is a very specified, you know, article, practicing physicians would benefit from distracting themselves with irrelevant tasks before making patient-centered decisions. Too bad. I guess I should have rushed out and bought some enormous book of word search puzzles.
1: Damn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when I was going over these studies, one uh, with this this article author Uh, one particular finding jumped out. In one experiment, the participants were divided into expert and novice groups, and each group was given either simple or complex medical problems to solve. As I'm sure you guessed, deliberation without attention was mostly found to be useless, but there was at least one exclusion. When novice doctors, uh, medical students actually, uh, tackled simple problems, it seemed compared uh, with it seemed that compared with making an immediate judgment, taking a few minutes to complete some irrelevant and mental exercise improved the outcome substantially. substantially. So there's uh, so it seems to be um, something that benefits uh, those who don't have experience. So in lieu of uh, hard daily years of experience. Background subconscious processes do a little better than using your. So basically, brain. the
1: idea is that that when there is a, uh, a, a an achievable uh, right answer that mm-hmm. one can use very specific information for, then the more conscious process uh, it seems to, to win out. But when there is not necessarily information available to you that you, and you have to come up with a new solution. Then, uh then basically it seems like what they're, what, what they're exposing is that something that requires more creative process, which mm-hmm. is which, what's necessary for a novice. Exactly, uh, because
0: their, their foundation of knowledge is, is poorly, you know
1: structured. Right. They end up coming to poorly the, developed. coming to better, uh, better conclusions in that way.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, uh, something mm-hmm. else that the study suggests uh, about the various modern initiatives, such as night float regulations and 80 hour work weeks and this is something that they do for doctors. Um, that have sought to draw a bright line between work and personal time. Uh, These ideas are rooted in our contemporary understanding of the importance of self-care, as well as acknowledgement that lifestyle considerations can often dissuade talented people from pursuing demanding specialties. So back to the boss thing, that that, if it's a new project that requires creativity and you're stuck, and you, you do some Sudoku or, or browse uh, you know or do some online gaming or something browser gaming and your <laughs> boss uh, g- comes down on you for it you, you can I'm you just showing the, I'm,
1: I, I'm a bit, uh, the uh, cliche I'm, I'm I'm being creative I'm ex- exercising my creativity may actually have uh, some some uh, foundation in reality.
0: Exactly. And then of course they end this article with talking about- Well,
1: apparently if you're, if you're doing a, an experienced, uh, uh, something that, that requires experienced decision making, you just can't use that excuse. Just don't no, work. you it really doesn't.
0: <laughs> and of course, you know, the article ends with, um, um, I do have an idea. Why don't we all take some time and sleep on it? Now that actually has, uh, back to our spotlight. It's a fun article,
1: but it doesn't, I was hoping you would talk about something that has to do with priming. Oh, yeah, in other um, words, uh, unconscious priming, where basically you can see the outcomes of decisions simply by I mean, the, the context in which they, in other words, you can alter people's decision making process simply by altering the context in which you give them uh, biases that they that they think that you haven't given them. They're not aware that you've given them. And There's, been, there's just so many different uh, ways in which they've shown that in, in neuroscience studies.
0: Hmm. Wait, well, yeah, I'm not sure why I uh, pulled this up because uh, a lot of times I, I pull down studies and collate them into a specific topic, and then I go back to them later. Well, it
1: was fun. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, just just basically, that there's a, that, yeah, that, that there are background
0: processes, you know. That,
1: yeah, and, and that some, some ca- in some cases background processing is not as useful as in others, mm-hmm. and uh, and that totally makes sense. Uh, but it's a it's a neat little little thing. But uh, but no, I was hoping you'd get more into the unconscious stuff.
0: Well, we do definitely have the unconscious stuff in terms of um, scientists being able to create an atlas of the brain in terms of what people are thinking and yeah, how the then, words are organized.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Yeah,
0: um, and this is um, actually it's, uh, rep- reported by The Guardian of, of all places. Um, well, is, it,
1: is this from uh, Carnegie Mellon as well?
0: Um, this one in particular, there was a Princeton one um, that I will talk about later, but um, let's see. Doo-doo-doo. Uh, it's it's hard for me to find uh, who they're.
1: You can uh, if you want to look into the one uh, you can look up B- beyond bananas uh, and uh, and just that uh, term alone will come up with the article uh, about um, uh, the mind reading stuff at Carnegie Mellon, which they're they th- th- what they're doing is it is that's the only way to describe it it's fucking you beyond mean, bananas. You
0: mean beyond melons?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's fucking it's fucking crazy.
0: Um, but uh, I don't know if this is the Carnegie Mellon ones or, or other ones. We'll, we'll probably figure it out. It might be, um, uh, uh, UC Berkeley, but scientists have created an atlas of the brain that reveals how meanings of words are arranged across different regions of the organ.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, like a colorful quilt laid over the cortex. The Atlas displays a rainbow in rainbow hues, how individual words and the concepts they convey can be grouped together in clumps of white matter. Um, Quote, our goal was to build a giant atlas that shows how one specific aspect of language is represented in the brain. In this case, semantics or the meanings of words," said Jack Gallant, a neuroscientist at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, no single Gallant. brain.
1: Gallant. Yeah. Okay. Gallant. I was just. I just posted a link to Gallant's work showing how they are able to. Uh, Gallant was one of the first to pull images out of the brain. Hmm. In other words, like uh, to it's,
0: basically record our dreams.
1: Yeah. Well, no, of not the recording the <laughs> dreams. I think that was still Carnegie Mellon. Uh, but he had some of the first, you know, images pulled from the brain where you could see here's an image of a flying parrot And here's an image that he pulled out of the brain. You can make out the general I mean, it wasn't like our brains eye
0: kind of thing or
1: you the, the, the actual image in the brain because it was uh, somebody had brought up an article what
0: about he, I don't understand uh, Is it the visual cortex? Is it yeah, imagining? Yeah, almost, it? Certainly, Is it, it's
1: a, almost certainly. It's almost certainly it, it the representational uh, of the, basically the activation of certain neurons in the brain. So like think
0: of a parrot. And they could no, actually This is
1: actually them visually seeing it. So it was oh, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. I I mean and, and one of the things I related is like yeah, that's kind of because the the visual cortex is so it's, orderly. It's it's, so, a, it's, it's, a, it's literally a, a three sixty grid, grid it's, it's one like to a, one. A, one. So so <laughs> yeah. it doesn't it doesn't you know compare to the Carnegie Mellon work. Mm-hmm. But, but go on but it's still neat to show that it's like, no, here's an actual representation of a parrot. This is pulled this is the data pulled from the brain from the meat. when and, when yeah. somebody this is what we pulled from from a brain just looking at the brain while that person was looking at an image
0: right and you can see it's, the
1: uh, the correlation of the mm-hmm. data very directly
0: yeah so the, the the brain is very directly your mind uh, yeah
1: you know. I mean obviously mm-hmm. but you know so, so many people want to think we're we're magic you know, on the inside so
0: <laughs> our bra- brains only look like everybody else's brains. Uh, like all the other animals' brains. We're completely different from them, even though all of our hardware is exactly the same. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, we definitely have more developed language, that's for sure. Um, or do we? Because <laughs> if oh, you think about good birds, good. Uh, birds have um, quite a range of uh, vocalizations well but, well. but you're talking
1: about when you, just, when you start bringing in birds, birds actually have a, a, a crazy level of Yeah, birds are particularly special, animals. yeah. So that's not fair. Yeah, I know, that's, <laughs> I know. I know.
0: <laughs> so essentially, uh, this this um, uh, study of the atlas or the, the fi- not the findings but the the degeneration so, so of the atlas. So this is Gallant's
1: work. Interesting. I wonder if he's working, if there's any coordination between uh, Carnegie Mellon and, uh, and Berkeley, Berkeley on on
0: this. Um. So what we're finding is that no single brain region holds one word or concept. A single brain spot is associated with a number of related words. And each single word lights up many different brain spots. Together, they make up networks that represent the meanings of each word we use life and death, uh, life and love, death and taxes, clouds, Florida, and bra. (laughs) All light up their own networks and back to or forward to semantic threads. Uh, Essentially, what I was talking about is that you, you give a person one word and that sets off an entire network. Lights up a chain reaction of things that are associated with it through the meaning of that word, because you can say. By the way,
1: what we're talking about is is sort of semiotics, just Mm
0: -hmm. so you know. I mean, we don't. When do we not talk about semiotics? -semiotics. (laughs) 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 Biosemiotics. When are we not talking about that? That's like if you were to condense our uh, study of um, the the, of interest, Uh, The, the like everything that we research. Uh, Uh At at, at the end, both you and I come down to biosemiotics as sort of the root of that that connects. And that's the name of of one
1: of the groups that I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: But yeah, like um, what would be a good example of, uh, I don't know if you're British, let's say the word bird. Um, Bird can mean a woman or it can mean an actual bird. So meaning is uh, integral in this process not only is language itself important, but then the but inter-
1: interconnection of various concepts, of course, is. Because be, then, when you it, think it, about when you different. think about a woman,
0: you think about Marilyn Monroe, you know, the, and it will light up a right. whole different. It's going to be different network.
1: between individuals, but there are some mm-hmm. basic uh, concepts that you know are, uh, and so it's universal. basically re- it's the reassociation of some some universal uh, based concepts that that make individuals more individual.
0: And of course, we have uh, that really great TED talk that. Um, is shared somewhere in our in our Discord server, so definitely check out the Discord server. It is free for uh, everyone to join. Um, there are special secret room for patrons, but for the most part, it's essentially a chat uh, forum as well as mostly a newsletter from me um, to you. And one of the, the things I published a while back was a TED talk about language, where there's a group, uh, an Aboriginal group in either Africa or Australia that has uh, directions, um, East, West, South, and North uh, as part of their daily language. They don't talk about on the right or on the left, they talk about North or South. Like the the, the directions of the compass are integral to a variety of their um, interactions and and language um, modalities, I don't know. (laughs) And it was found that those particular people actually orient themselves in space way fucking better than Westerners. Like they actually know where East, West, North, and South is way better than uh, westerners because it's part of their language so there's compelling evidence that the language you speak and how it's uh, structured what the hierarchy of meaning um, and the the, the choices uh, yeah, and of the words the natural associations that right, come from them as yeah. you were talking about in the beginning the natural associations actually do change your cognition and you know your consciousness Um, But, uh, so back to the the atlas of words, described as tour de force by one researcher who was not involved in the study. The atlas demonstrates how modern imaging can transform our knowledge of how the brain performs some of its most important tasks. Uh, It's possible that this approach could be used to decode information about what word a person is hearing, reading, or possibly even thinking. Uh, One potential use would be a language decoder that would allow people silenced by uh, motor neuron disease or locked in syndrome to speak through a computer. Uh, to create an atlas, the scientists recorded people's brain activity while they listened to stories uh, read on the Moth Radio Hour, a U.S. radio show. They then matched the transcripts of the stories with the brain activity data to show how groups of related words triggered neural responses in 50,000 to 80,000 P sized spots all over the cerebral cortex. That's a lot of, a lot of thousands. Uh, Huth, uh, the, the researcher Huth, H-U-T-H, <clears throat> Huth used stories from the Moth Radio Hour because they are short and compelling. The more enthralling the stories, the more confident the scientists could be that the people being scanned were focusing on the words and not drifting off. Seven people listened to two hours of stories each, per person that amounts to hearing roughly 25,000 words and more than 3,000 different words as they lay in the scanner. The Atlas shows how words words and related terms exercise the same regions of the brain. For example, the left-hand side of the brain, above the ear, is one of the tiny regions that represents the word victim interesting isn't that the morale? No, ra-
1: no that's the, that's right, the right side, side. Interesting. right uh, right you know, temporal parietal junction yeah
0: neat so the left temporal parietal junction houses the word victim specifically the same region responds to killer convicted murdered and confessed on the brain's right hand side near the top of the head is one of the brain spots activated by terms wife husband children parents each word is represented by more than one spot because words tend to have several meanings at one part of the brain for example reliably responds to the word top along with other words that describe clothing. But the word top activates many other regions. One of them responds to numbers and measurements, another to buildings and places. The scientists have created an interactive website, hell yes they have, that's exciting, Uh, where the public can explore the brain atlas, and I will so be including that in the Patreon post, you better believe it. Strikingly, the brain atlases uh, were similar for all the participants, suggesting that brain Uh, organized the meaning of words in the same way. The scientists only scanned uh, five men and two women, however. Oof, that's a small sample size. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not, well, I
1: mean, what they did is it's a small number of people, but a huge number of uh, words, and so... Massive number of words. Right, and so it may be a small number of people, so the the correlation between humans, uh, they have not very... Um,
0: Strongly proven that it's similar for all all the people, but they've definitely proven...
1: But, I mean, when you have five different people, you should have... Seven. Okay, seven different people. Uh, Two
0: women, five men. Ah, okay.
1: Yeah, if if you have seven different people, then you should at least be showing. If there isn't a commonality that... Would show up, but there, but instead, but the fact that there
0: is, yeah, that there
1: is still a commonality there shows that there's at least a commonality between it's
0: a good place to start looking.
1: That, that small <laughs> sample, but no, but then you, we do need to do the go to the Carnegie Mellon uh, uh okay. site because because uh, it's very similar. Uh, okay. send it to me if you don't mind, just Google Beyond Bananas. It's, uh, it's way too many, sure. Yes, I gotta read, <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs>
0: I gotta host the show. <laughs> um, this part anyway, because I'm reading the rest of this article, doesn't have much left, but um okay scanned only five men and two women however um they were all native english speakers and the authors published the study in nature it is highly possible that people from different backgrounds and cultures will have different semantic brain atlases and i i believe that i think that uh, culture is shaped by language and language shapes our brains therefore there would be uh possibly Possibly big differences in brain atlases But at the same time as we were talking in the very beginning the word right as both your right to something as well as the Directional right are identical in Russian and English and Cyrillic language and Germanic language That's English and Cyrillic that is Russian they don't share that many things in common whatsoever Um, So the fact that there is this weird commonality and I'm sure there's others we can if we were to explore Uh, leads me to believe that there are universal human constants, but they will definitely be amended by specific language culture. Uh, Let's see, where did I leave off? Um, Armed with the Atlas, researchers can now piece together the brain networks that represent wildly different concepts from numbers to murders and religion. Um, using the same hall of data, the group has begun work on new atlases that show how the brain holds information on other aspects of language from pheno- pheno- ph- phenomes? phonemes, phenomes? 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 Sure.
1: Yeah, I don't phenomes, know. Phenomes.
0: Phenomes. To syntax. A brain atlas for narrative structure has so far been. Phonemes is what phonemes. you're
1: saying. I know that sounded weird. Hey, it's like... Phonemes, yeah. I'm like, like, what are you saying? That's weird. <laughs> I don't yeah, okay.
0: so <laughs> a brain atlas for narrative structure has thus far proved exclusive, however uh, elusive, however. Every time we come up with a set of narrative features, they get told they aren't the right set of narrative. Uh, wait, every, uh, this is a quote from Galan. He says, every time we come up with a set of narrative features, we get told they aren't the right set of narrative features. I don't know what that means, but that's fine. Yuri Hassan, a neuroscientist at Princeton, and we'll talk more about Princeton, and their semantic thread uh, research praised the work. Unlike many studies that look at brain activity when an isolated word or sentence is spoken, Galant's team has shed light on how the brain worked in a real-world scenario. The next step, he said, was to create a more comprehensive and precise human brain atlas. Ultimately, Hassan believes it will be possible to reconstruct the words a person is thinking from their brain activity. The ethical implications are enormous. One more benign use would see brain activity used to assess whether political messages have been effectively communicated to the public. There are so many implications and we barely scratch the surface. Lorraine Tyler, a cognitive neuroscientist and the head of Center for Speech Language uh, and the Brain at Cambridge University, said the research was tour de force in its scope and methods, but the Brain Atlas in its current form, uh, so this is the head of Center for Speech Language and Brain at Cambridge, said that the study was a tour de force, meaning uh, she was fine with it having seven pe- people in it. So, you know, <laughs> I think we can, we can give them a bit of slack on that. Uh, but the Brain Atlas in its current form does not capture the fine differences in word meanings. Take the word table. It can be a member of many different groups. It can be something to eat off of, something made out of wood, things that are heavy, things that have four legs, non-animate objects, and so on. This kind of detailed semantic information that enables words to be used flexibly is lost in the analysis. Uh, while this is still Lorraine Tyler's quote. Uh, while this research is pathbreaking in its scope, there's still a lot to learn about how semantics is represented in the brain. And uh, that's definitely definitely true. Um, Words by themselves, uh, of course, light up all of these different semantic threads. But uh, where do these threads uh, lead, and how are they connected, and uh, how the brain picks the uh, preferential thread is, is something. Because you know, as we know, the, the the brain lights up with all the possibilities that a word might mean, but then it collapses down into one single meaning that you go with. So how does the brain do that? How does it pick the the thread the um, importance? Uh, or the the value of which one is, is the one that we're keeping and which ones are we getting rid of. So the, the understanding of semantics and meaning of things is definitely something we need to still look at. Um, oh. How
1: that is with that group, however...
0: And then there's a Princeton group as well.
1: Yeah, but the, but the Carnegie Mellon uh, group, I've, I've sent you one of the links, and they, they were oh, able to you get... Oh, can,
0: you can discuss it. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's good right, to have the link so I can share it with the, with patrons, uh, or in the patron post, I mean.
1: Yeah, so the, they, they were getting between 70 and up to 94% accuracy of reading nouns from brains, uh, I think almost a decade ago, maybe. I don't know. It's, it, it was, uh, uh, you know, they, they were getting very good accuracy, and, and, and being able to differentiate from you know uh, different tools like uh the difference this between is a of okay yeah but that's no that's the more, the more recent one okay. i'm talking about what backs oh, that one up gotcha uh and there is uh you know the difference between uh, a screwdriver and a, a hammer oh don't don't believe me i was the one that to you know uh you to read that okay you well
0: because people have been listening to me for like an hour now
1: all right fine i'll uh, <laughs> i'll read it then Yay. okay so <laughs> All right, Carnegie kind of Mellon University, scientists can now use brain activation patterns to identify complex thoughts, such as the witness shouting shouted during the trial. Uh, recent, uh, latest research, so uh, this is building upon what I was just talking about, where they were able to um, uh, you know, identify nouns from the brain uh, using fMRI uh, with just amazing levels of accuracy. And, and why, why this is really important is just to, to show how much language being uh, uh, placed in a particular area in the brain means that there is a similarity between human brain structures that is uh, obviously predetermined you don't store the same information in the exact same place uh from one hard drive to the next for instance in computers uh there is uh, you storing the same information in the same place shows uh a something that is very important that i wanted to talk about Uh, with the uh, the idea of collective unconscious and uh, things of that nature how human beings may uh, cooperate um, uh, because of these shared uh, structures in the brain but anyhow uh, so going back to to reading this uh, this latest research led by CMU's uh, Marshall, Marshall Just Builds on the pioneering use of machine learning algorithms with brain imaging technology to mind read. The findings indicate that the mind's building blocks for constructing complex thoughts are formed by the brain's various subsystems and are not uh, word based. Uh, published in Human Brain Mapping and funded by the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, IARPA, that's the uh, brain. Um, uh, Arm of DARPA. Yeah, I was about uh, to say. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you know, this is there's definitely. That sounds
0: like. A... Yeah, no,
1: you should be scared. But, oh uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool,
0: cool, cool. All right. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> Making you, sure if, I got that right. <laughs> yeah, no, you
1: should. Um, the study offers new evidence that neural uh, dimensions of concept representation are universal across people and languages. So, in other words, the con- concept, even though there is, um, you know, the there are differences in language and there are differences in, in the associations, there's still uh, the, a, a particular positioning of concepts. So like, like for instance, there's something called the sensory homunculus in the brain where you know, uh, from one human to the next, where we you know, sense our feet, versus where we sense uh, our genitals. They actually happen to be right next to each other which is uh, one explanation for why people believe that there's uh, foot fetishes so common is because of the nearness of those those yeah, the, sensory
0: the penis sp- and the feet are re- next to each other in the sensory homunculus and right. yeah so that's the
1: reason why why that, that exists because mm-hmm. there's not a real good reason
0: otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and they're, in some people are just just a little too close to the point of overlapping. Yeah <laughs> they just start
1: overlapping especially and as so, you Whenever
0: you see feet, your genital Right. Well, gets the thing activated. is,
1: that, uh, the brain as a, as a brain matures, there's a lot more overlap of concepts. There's mm-hmm. a lot more overlap because because things are uh, reality isn't so finitely um, uh, divided. Divided. That's not how reality works. Mm-hmm. But even though that's that is best for a child to have very fine divisions between everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not. Borders, a, that's yeah. not a complex brain. That's a very simple brain mm-hmm. that we start with. Uh, but anyhow, so so, you know, th- there already was the placement of the sensory homunculus we knew about but now finding that Concepts actually have, you know, when it comes to nouns what things are are actually common between human beings. That's a that's a big deal mm-hmm. um, So anyhow, uh, yes, so I- IARPA is uh, is the, the ones who are doing the uh, this and, and one thing I have to say about that is um it's inevitable that we will uh advance so, because people people always have the feeling of well, man you know we better not continue forward in that direction because it's going to be will. horrible we're going we to have. period so the, the question is whether or not you want it to be the knowledge and understanding of of brain stuff to be concentrated in the hands of one you know tiny group of people or do you want that information disseminated more widely so that we all understand how to you know, uh, defend against it as well. So yeah, there's, I think it's, it's yeah. important that we, that there's much more availability of this information, uh, you know, and knowing that how these things work is, is important to keeping the concentration of power, uh, from, you know, becoming a, a gigantic problem. But yeah, there will be abuses. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just make sure to minimize those abuses by continuing forward instead of, you know, pretending to halt and therefore giving all the power to the few.
0: And of course, if we're talking about like the the legal implications of being able to read a person's mind, does that mean you're reading their subconscious, or are you reading the conscious that's making the excuses up? Like, which yeah, what you well,
1: know? The mind reading thing here, it, it, you have to there. It's still a long way off from very good mind reading. Right. Uh, you're still. It's just like okay, just like a, a map.
0: But that's something that article mentioned. Legal being able implications. to map that there
1: are locations for con. Conceptual representation do, does not bring out the associative map. In other right. words, the, the associative map, how those concepts are linked together, are not revealed um, mm-hmm. by, by that map. It's simply right. a, a showing where, those yet, con- anyway. where the concepts uh, lie in the. And in how in the they're model,
0: potentially right. related, but not.
1: Well, yeah, and how they may be potentially related to the in just... individual study. And that's the right. thing I, I think is going to be vastly different between individuals. But mm. anyway, okay. so going back to this. So, yeah. um, one of the big advances of the human uh, brain, so this is oh, reading the article again. One of the big advances of the human brain was the ability to combine individual concepts into complex thoughts, to mm-hmm. think not uh, just of bananas, but I like to eat bananas in everything uh, with my friends, <laughs> said Just. The D.O. Hebb University Professor of Psychology in uh, Dietrich College of Humanities and Social scientists. We have finally developed a way to see thoughts of uh, that complexity in the fMRI signal. The discovery of this correspondence between thoughts and brain activation patterns tells us what the thoughts are built of. So, in other words, we went beyond the, the, the technology that I was talking about where they had up to 90% accuracy in reading uh, individual words. individual words. That was a, a basis for this IARPA research uh, that is uh, now leading to more complex things right. like, uh, not Sentences. just bananas, but I like to eat bananas in the evening with my friends. I, I said every, everything earlier, sorry about that. Uh, my vision is shit. Okay, <laughs> I need to like, you know, uh, blow this up a little bit so I can read it better. Um, well, don't blow it up. I mean, maybe. I just- <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, previous work by Justin and his friend and his team. God, it's terrible. Uh, just, <laughs> showed, I, haven't, I haven't read out loud in a while. It uh, showed that thoughts of familiar objects like bananas or hammers evoke activation patterns that evoke the neural systems that we use to deal with those objects. For example, how do you interact with a banana involves how you hold it and hmm. how you bite it and what it looks like. Uh, The new study demonstrates that the brain's coding of 240 complex events, sentences like the shouting during the trial scenario, uses an alphabet of 42 meaning components or neurally plausible semantic features consisting of features like person, setting, size, social interaction, and physical action. Now you're moving things around there, okay. Um, Each type of information is processed in a different brain system which is how the brain also processes the information for objects. By measuring the activation in each brain system, the program can tell what types of thoughts are being contemplated. For for seven adult participants, so once again, back to that seven, mm-hmm. uh, the researchers used a computational model to assess how the brain acti- activation patterns for 239 sentences corresponded to the neurally plausible semantic features uh that characterize each sentence is there some overlap between carnegie Mellon and, and berkeley I, that's, I gotta find that out um can you look into that sure Great. Right. Um, okay 239 sentences that correspond to neurally plausible semantic features that characterized each sentence the program was able to decode the features of the 240th Left out sentence. They went through uh, through leaving out each of the 240 sentences in turn in what is called cross-validation Ooh, that's sexy Um, (laughs) The model was able to predict the features of the uh, left out sentence with 87% Accuracy despite never being exposed to its activation before
0: There is a branch of Carnegie Mellon in Silicon Valley That is the closest relation I've been able to find
1: Interesting. I wonder if they, they like is there some overlap? I bet there's some overlap between the work because it sounds like. Well, oh, I overlap. have to.
0: I have to do it based on the researchers rather than the.
1: Yeah. Oh, that would be Gallant Jack Gallant. Uh, you can look him up. Uh, I think that's his name, Jack. Is it? It's Gallant, I know. Yeah. All right. Um, Thanks, Jack. Wow. So I was able to to after using this process was able to predict. Or uh, the features of the left out sentence with eighty seven percent accuracy. Uh without, yeah, wow, okay. Um, our method overcomes the unfortunate property of fMRI to smear together the signals emanating from the brain events that occur close together in time, like the reading of two successive words in a sentence I just said. This advance makes it possible for the first time to decode thoughts containing several concepts. That's what most human thoughts are composed of. He added, a next step might be to decode the general type of topic a person is thinking about, such as geology or skateboarding. We are on the way to making a map of all the types of knowledge in the brain. CMU's uh, Ying Wang uh, and Vladimir L. Cherkofsky also participated in the study. Uh, Discovering how the brain decodes complex thoughts is one of the many brain research breakthroughs to happen at Carnegie Mellon. CMU has created some of the first cognitive tutors. Uh, helped to develop the Jeopardy-winning Watson, founded uh, a groundbreaking doc- doctoral program in neural computation, and is the birthplace of artificial intelligence and cognitive psychology. Building on its strengths in biology, computer science, psychology, statistics, and engineering, CMU launched Brain Hub, an, an, an initiative that focuses on the, how the structure and activity of the brain gives rise to complex behaviors. So uh, Brain Hub is another good... Um, Link to to uh, to add there.
0: Yeah, looking at the Gallant Lab at UC Berkeley, um, uh, Huth is involved a lot, H U T H. But uh, there's no far no well, as... I'm, far I'm as sure they know concerned. a lot
1: about each other's work. <laughs>
0: they probably cite each other's work. But.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but th- that's uh, I, okay. So the point is here why why are we um, talking about the you know this the this very close um, uh, connection between you know. Uh, Various individuals and the um, uh, the patterns you can find in the brain that represent various thoughts well that uh, that just means that there is a very close association of, of how human brains are made and that there is a backdrop a genetic backdrop that is already encoding a tremendous amount of information Available now, uh, some of the things. So, so we already know of instinct. Instinct is a uh, you know, it, it's obvious that there are instincts. But mm-hmm. where instincts lie, I just had a, a long conversation with a person who wanted to identify instincts as, as in a specific portion of the brain. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, there are certain instincts that can be uh more localized yeah and like fear
0: is, for amygdala but, but it feels like but
1: instincts are encoded all the way to, yeah. what, what exactly are instincts when you think about the fact that the way that the the rods and cones are arranged in the eye determine what signals are sent to the brain that that the way that the eye developed is a system of memory that happened because of evolution. Mm-hmm. So, so there is a, uh, there is, we oversimplify, uh, where things are located when, when you have a system that is made up of a lot of different parts but that then, all are cataloging
0: and reacting to And we kept, we kept to adding meaning to our instincts. We kept reinterpreting our instincts and that's how they, we've, we've kept them with us. We, we see them as, you know, a mother rearing its child is a beautiful thing, right? Like we've added, Levels of meaning on top of it. So but you that's not can't point, not though. have instincts go through all of the brain
1: like, Yeah, but the, yeah, but my point is that it's that, that instincts are encoded in a variety of ways yeah. and just trying Yeah, the, there is
0: seems like you can't have it any uh, the, other the, way in a human
1: the various the structure Just understanding that DNA is a memory uh, is uh, a memory that is that is developed evolutionary by experience. In other words, mm-hmm. a very long memory is what it is. Mm-hmm. Understanding that concept, uh, I think, is kind of crucial to seeing how all of these things fit together. Mm-hmm. And what you know, why I'm bringing these things up is because we wanted to eventually. I mean, I think we kind of uh, advertised this uh, this episode is about uh, about the noosphere and about uh, you know collective unconscious and and that's kind of where I'm getting to is mm-hmm. that is that Jung's idea at- <laughs> uh, that there are are these that there are pre-existing concepts uh, genetically encoded in the brain is now something that is very very well supported uh, so now, now most people whenever they think of the collective unconscious I have to sort of uh, differentiate the uh, whenever you say collective unconscious a lot of times they're talking about a working system of um, I think it's it, it may be the most common way of thinking of it as like a hive mind, as like a, it, it in process, but that is not necessarily um, directly the first precepts of collective unconscious. The precepts, the the underpinning of collective unconscious has to do with pre-existing information in individuals that comes from long and old genetic memory, and these are shared ideas that are constantly present in our minds at the unconscious level. And that was the initial impetus behind the idea of collective unconscious, which can then lead to, um, you know, hive mind so- sorts of thing, information that is out there, by the collective action of human beings and their collective actions and their collective thoughts leading to just like the collective actions of neurons lead to larger concepts occurring in the brain, the collective actions of human beings, uh, leading to a larger type of brain. And that's, that is the kind of idea that people most associate with collective unconscious uh, whereas, uh, um, you know, you have to look at Jung's initial idea being based on these things that we we're just talking about. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing I think that is important here is also to talk about genetic memory. So, mm-hmm. so instinct is obviously genetic memory. It's a type of genetic memory that's more generalized. However, in recent times we have to talk about how there was uh, a proven that genetic memory can be far more short-term and far more specific they they've shown with uh, with mice that they can simply um, uh, associate a fear response with what what they did is I, guess, I think it was cherry blossom mm-hmm. scent and and then up to like three generations two or three generations later ones that have that are completely naive in other words they have never experienced cherry blossom will actually avoid the scent uh, as uh, it, you know and basically there is an encoded fear response which is is directly a a proof of genetic memory.
0: Also known as parental olfactory experience influences behavior and neural structure in subsequent generations.
1: Yes. So, genetic memory has been proven now. And so, we already obviously knew it existed in in in, in, uh, instincts. We already knew that part of it. And not not calling instincts genetic memory is a little silly uh, to to try to, you know, dissociate the two. I don't understand why you wouldn't think of that as genetic memory. But now we have even more Short-term uh, genetic memory, not just extremely long-term genetic memory. So, just you know, the uh, a, a single individual's experience can lead to subsequent generations having memories of that experience. Now, that is something that is that is very new and very uh, very interesting. But the point here is, that, once again, to show that there is a uh, the the ideas of um, of the possibility. Of, a, of something that is like a noosphere is, uh, is something that, that we now have a tremendous amount more uh, hard data to use and functional, you know, things of being able to mind read. In other words, real, actual inventions that prove that these, these concepts of the storage, the commonality of storage of information between brains, which is, that's, you know, that's what's happening when you, that, that is what's is referred to in the Jungian you know, uh, ideas of archetypes and and things like that. Uh, so now, now you have, you know, you, you have real workable information that proves that these things are true. Uh, and so that's kind of, um, it, it takes it out of the, out of the realm of the more wooish, uh, you know, feeling that people have, you know, whenever, whenever there are new concepts, people tend that are, that are, that rely on, on very complex, Uh, associations you know people tend to see it as wooish and you know and and there was a lot of criticism of uh, the the idea of, you know those these Jungian concepts but now looking at it from this perspective it's it's obvious that we have a lot of data that supports it we have a lot of real real workable usable evidence that these things are are actually true Um, so you were going to uh,
0: oh no I just uh, I mean it's just I'm trying to tie it all together with the fact that we have uh, meaning, stor- stories we tell ourselves, collective unconscious, all of that sort of together. And uh, so that that just kind of, um, it's a little off topic, but it's within the larger topic. Because um, so I'm not sure, uh, we might have jumped the shark with a genetic memory, uh, or not jumped I got, got too early. <laughs> uh Freudian slip slip. No, I don't yeah, know, words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but no, it's just... Um, something that I wanted to bring up at some point is the fact that uh, people remember something that's told to them as a fiction more than something they remember as fact and just in general storytelling and how compelling telling ourselves stories. Because it's something that Chad was talking about as well in terms of like, um, going back to the question, if we were to look at a person's mind as they were thinking things, will we see what their actual subconscious thinks, the the truth, or will we see the story that they tell themselves Uh, in terms of like legal implications, using this in courts or whatever is like a a different form of polygraph. And so there's just a really great uh, three sets of studies in one paper uh, talked about uh, the experiment one demonstrated the extent. Well, so the term of transportation, and it's a really strange fucking word, but is defined as absorption into a story, such as imagery, focus, effect, um, and the scale of that sort of immersion in a story, something they were measuring. And they found that the extent of immersion in a story augmented um, story consistent beliefs and favorable evaluation of the protagonist. Second experiment showed that highly immersive story, uh, highly immersed readers found fewer false notes in a story than those who weren't as immersed. And experiment three found, again, replicated the effect of the immersion on belief. And studies also showed that this immersion and the beliefs that it engendered are not generally affected by labeling the story as true or false. So the point being is that we are highly affected by a story and the conclusions we draw from it. And we don't give a fuck if it's real or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's in other words. So that's just pointing out the influence that all of our various stories, mm-hmm. like uh, movies, and and how much the writers and of their our stories are, and are shaping society mm-hmm. is uh, is something that uh, the CIA is as and uh, and various different organizations have been shown to to put massive amounts of money into uh, into Hollywood. Just I believe it's
0: been declassified that over eight thousand films have and been TV direct. Yeah, T V yeah. shows have been directly. Uh, the approval and the setup for and everything was passed by the CIA desk and they did not exist. Right, without because their they approval.
1: understand that the that what happens to a society is very very dependent upon the stories which it tells mm-hmm. itself.
0: The culture changes based on those. Just stories. like what,
1: what the uh, the outcome of a single mind is very dependent upon the stories of which it tells itself.
0: Exactly. Very very dependent, uh, because we're talking about they don't notice false notes if they're immersed enough. Mm-hmm. So if they're emotionally involved enough, and I mean I've been studying uh, marketing from a specific ghostwriter, uh, not ghostwriter, uh, copywriter, mm-hmm. and the basis of marketing and how he does everything is he's there to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting. I'm, I'm starting to read an interesting story, and then there's a sell at the end. Right in the middle, there's a subtly slipped in cell, but you're already so invested in the story that you don't realize that it's a fucking cell. They're trying to push something to you because you're like, oh, he's just telling me that there's people who innovate and there's an example of this one guy. Oh, look at this one guy being an example of innovation. No, no, he's it's his job to promote this guy. That's his that he is trying to make you buy things. And he's putting it... Unfortunately, so there's a
1: huge... Up, here's the thing. And
0: he straight up says that. Yeah. He says, what have I taught you? Tell them a story. This, you know. here's, the,
1: here's the thing that I have found that most... Where where men and women often d- differentiate. Mm. I think men in general are are more naive about the uh, the motivations of, first of all, themselves and of others in the stories that they tell. Mm. In other words, like uh, I, I think men are, are less able to track that they are appealing to certain ideas and ideals and want others to believe those ideas and ideals when they're telling a the story, then uh, women are about that, that whole process. I think in general, the, the ideas of influence and, and all those things seem to come more naturally and they seem to be understood uh, more readily by women than by, by men. Because in my experience, guys are typically, Oh no, they're just telling stories. They're, you're just reading into it. They don't mean to tell it's like bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they're not as aware of the story they're telling and the and the uh, ideas that they are that they're appealing to and representing to you. Maybe they they weren't really aware of them, but they are still doing them. They are still, uh, you know, setting up a a structure of ideas that has to do with the belief about the way reality works, and they are conveying it to you in a powerful way that will alter your your prediction, your probability, you know, calculation of the way that you believe reality works. It is an extremely influential uh, set of circumstances that in general, like I said, anytime I've talked to, to guys, lots I was, ah, they're just it's just for entertainment. Why are you reading into it so much, man? Well, I feel like women
0: uh, women are women don't really no. Do I think women better are, than
1: that. Uh, I think they do in general. It's like you know you go all At the way back to you know, like that. how much they uh, people hated Tipper Gore, for instance. Part of the reason why Tipper Gore was uh, you know and and there uh, there there is going oh too the whole
0: Sarkeesian thing. Uh, right. I see, I see. Right. No, I see no, no, yeah, it's
1: yeah, a yeah. It, there is a level of paranoia as well that you can read into it too far. The, the and, things they believe. That it is everything is conscious, yeah. right? Yeah. And ev- that everything is a conscious manipulation. And when that is not true, that everything mm-hmm. is not a conscious manipulation, there is uh, a lot of it is completely innocent. Uh, so there is taking it too far, of course. But the point is that I think that in general, women tend to be more aware of the influential. Uh, aspect of, paranoid of about language it. And, and yeah well and it does, being too being too aware of it does make you paranoid automatically if you are too aware uh, too aware of that sort of thing you will become paranoid and, being and you
0: generally you know. sensitive to manipulation makes you more aware of manipulation exactly <laughs>
1: And when you're more sensitive to and more aware of uh, manipulation it makes you more paranoid yeah. so yeah there are there are things that, that it is a uh, oh, no, I believe it is It is a safer you know, view of reality, a, a more stable view of reality to... To, to do
0: the, the guy way.
1: To kind of stupidly uh, believe the best of, uh, of everything uh, and, and ignore the possibilities of, a, of the more sinister aspects of it to, to some extent or another. There is a balance there that I think is important. And I think that that's, that leads to a more stable mind to be less aware of uh, how much all of that manipulation is occurring. Uh, I believe that that, that it, it's something we've developed for a good reason. I think there is a mental stability aspect that is uh, you know, um, it, it's, it, here's the thing. It is uh, uh, sometimes I, I've seen how there are strong personalities that where they seem to be utterly oblivious of little cuts and little subtle comments about them. And it is the obliviousness that is powerful mm-hmm. because they're unaware of these little subtle cuts that people are trying to do in social circumstances and things like that, because they remain oblivious, they end up powering through it and leading others in their, in their self-confidence.
0: Right, because um, when those digs are subtle enough, you can't exactly call the person out on it because they're subtle, but when they're subtle, you can also ignore it, right. and people will be like, well, maybe they didn't mean it like that. If the guy's not reacting to it hurtfully... Right. Whereas then-
1: if you are reacting to it, then that gives it power, mm-hmm. uh, and so because it, you know, there is some level of uh, doubt that it instills, there's, some, there's a lot of different things, and so there is a there is a power to obliviousness uh, that is extremely valuable, and I think that's why uh, you know that there are various mindsets that I, that I think that are important to kind of be oblivious. And it, it, the, it's like the difference between courage and, uh, and stupidity, mm-hmm. though. I think that that more adult minds, uh, in other words, like you only... More
0: complex minds?
1: More complex minds, you'll find there are usually a lot of older uh, men once they get to between, you know, get beyond their 30s are, are much more readily aware of all of the subtle you know, uh, mental combat that's occurring around them. They, they, they may not, not be react young, to
0: it or, or talk right. about it, but, then young
1: man, men but they,
0: they feel it in their hearts.
1: Right, right. <laughs> They're much more aware of all that kind of crap that's yeah. going on. And uh, and then there is a choice to ignore it. Right, And and so there's a, it's just like a, somebody who's never been to war doesn't think that they can die. Rushing into battle is completely different than somebody who's taken a bullet before, watched their buddies die, and still go into battle. There's a there's a gigant- doing this to my field? <laughs> <laughs> there's a gigantic difference in uh, in courage, uh, you know, and so that so a lot of times there is a difficulty of people who actually do know all that kind of stuff that's going on and choose to still remain apparently oblivious mm-hmm. and uh, and choose to to actually kind of be oblivious and and to ignore the uh, all of that that stuff that can bog you down.
0: So uh-huh. um, what was the, uh, I know you want to talk about the collective unconscious and uh, and meaning and, and uh, that's why we, why we started going into the genetic mem- memory side. So I'm not sure if I should talk about the, um, the psychology of meaning and hierarchy of complexity uh, now or just kind of throw it in for patrons to read because it relates to the Jordan Peterson video. Well, not oh. patrons, but everybody. What was um, it? Again? It's a PDF from, uh, there's a book called The Psychology of Meaning from 2013. And um, the first part of it is called the architecture of meaning, and it has Jordan Peterson's three forms of meaning and the management of complexity, um, and it's 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 you know a couple of pages, um, but uh, essentially I wanted to know if we wanted to talk about um, complexity as we kind mm-hmm. of seem to have started onto it, and then just uh, you know and meaning and you know how that relates to the brain and how does all of that link to genetic memory. Okay,
1: well, going back to complexity versus simplicity, there is something that, that you brought up earlier that was a good point. Yeah. What's
0: fine.
1: that? Uh, that was the um, idea of whether or not they'll be able to read uh, the specific, um, like, are you reading the, the lies that you tell yourself or are you reading the-, right. you the reading the, the, the elephant the, or the- Or the more of the deeper truth? Right. And there is an aspect to um, the way that we- um, put things together the, the the way that the brain um puts things together in a more linguistic linear sort of path they the voice in your head there is a type of thought where it is the, it is that kind of voice in the head uh talking linear sort of uh this is it's not filmed you can go ahead um there's a uh this linear processing sort of thing that goes on in our heads uh when we sort of you know monologue we have an inner monologue and I don't think that that is uh, the more con- I think that is more the liar and more the, 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 the you know the story we tell ourselves is more based on that voice in the head and a lot of times we think of that as consciousness whereas I believe that, that consciousness is much much deeper than that and that's, that, that is just a that's just wakefulness and I've not furthermore the important you know thing I, I think here to you know to kind of uh, point at is that there are a multiplicity of things that you're considering all at once anytime that you're considering a topic you are considering millions of different experiences millions of, of uh, concepts simultaneously and that it's impossible to compute them one at a time in the period of time that we do so so there is there is when, it, when you're talking about the way that the human brain works there is a type of computation occurring in the human brain that seems to be far superior to our normal computation methods uh, that we look at in computers. And I think that that is um, what I've been, you know, uh, basically touching on for a long time now, the difference between analog computation and digital computation. And it's the difference between uh, linear and what a lot of times is referred to as like massively parallel. And what I mean by linear is in like stepwise, one one thing, then the next, then the next, versus simultaneous uh, processes. And there is a level of processing that can occur with analog computation that is everything happening at once, simultaneously. Not, you know, like in math, you have to do things, you have to do this, then this, then this, then this, and the same thing with language. You think, you know, this word, this word, this word, this word, and the ordering of the words is very important. But there is a type of computation where the ordering is uh, not used, uh, where the ordering is everything simultaneous. And this is something that is kind of uh, coming out of our ideas of complexity. And uh, it's something that that goes all the way back to, uh, in, in computation, there's the halting problem where you end up having an infinite loop. And it can't break out of the loop because there is a lack of simultaneous, you know, computation that leads to noticing that it's a an infinite loop beforehand. There is uh, something called the problem of infinite regress uh, yeah, that goes all the way back mm-hmm. to the you know older philosophers, where anytime that you think about um, what the source of something is, what's is the, that what's done the cause? analysis
0: paralysis or yeah, yeah, uh,
1: whenever you think of the cause of something, what is the cause? Uh, well, the cause is this thing. Well, then is it the, this thing or the thing before it? Or is it the thing before it? And you keep going and you end up getting, you end up having the halting problem in the human brain where you keep, you have an infinite loop exploring all of the possibilities and, and eventually have to have some way to break out of the loop. And so, so how do you get a generalization of something that is such a wide set of data simultaneously? It's a completely different computing regime that the human brain uses that has not been fully employed in, in computers, and once it is, what we're talking about here is the solution of uh, the P versus NP, and that? that is something that I don't want to get into uh, a lot of details on. No, but it's uh, dear, in polynomial it's time versus It's it is a question mm-hmm. about how uh, the speed at which things can be solved. It's a okay, it's, it's kind of hard to that's fine. yeah. Um, The the um and and the thing is I I I have not done enough familiar enough work to be familiar enough with the terminology surrounding the P versus NV problem to 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 talk about it in a technical way. I can only talk about it in a in a more general way uh, with confidence. So um, the 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 issue, however, it has to do with with um, something called the traveling salesman problem and and how it is that you find the most. What's it called? The, the the best route between places is not uh, not necessarily. It, I, I just recommend you look at. There's plenty of videos about the NP versus NP problem, that, where they'll describe it a lot better than I can. Yeah, I might have to. In any kind of.
0: I don't short know if I've ever period. heard that
1: before. Uh, it has to do with computation, and so and then there's also the
0: explains <laughs> why I haven't heard it before. Yeah, and
1: then there's girdle incompleteness, and uh, and that has to do with that there is a necessity of something kind of outside of a system, that there's always a, a way in which you can uh, break a system. I, I like it as... Um, break I, a system? Oh, man, I'm, I'm leading to Gerda Escher, and Bach. Here yeah. uh, well. in, in the book, because... It, well, it's related because of the fact that it... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to point out that linear processing that happens in mathematics, linear processing that happens in language, all of these things have to do with something that is already... It relates to the ideas of quantum consciousness, and that is, okay. and, and quantum consciousness not. I don't like that terminology specifically, okay. but there is the multiplicity of overlapping meanings uh, that are possible that do get collapsed to a single uh, choice of many possibilities, and so uh, so you know that, that happens in the brain that you have mm-hmm. many things. Happening, you know, simultaneously that get collapsed to a more finite point that can then become linear processing, and so it is what happens before linear processing that the human yeah. brain is doing, and so th- so right the, that sort of thing,
0: Multitudes of ideas that get right up all of those things that
1: are happening simultaneously; those are not being accessed by these these systems that we've been talking about. I, I, right. I, what we've talked about is language specific yes. concepts. It yes. is the specificity itself that is. Um, the the the, there's a there's a wide gulf between what they're doing right now which has to do with lighting up specific linguistic concepts uh, and the processing that occurs in the brain that has to do with thought uh, that is a more general you know um, combination analog combination of ideas it's the uh, uh, many various overlapping ideas simultaneously interacting with each other in a wave form it, it is, um, and, and that is yeah exactly it's, it's far more complex and so there's that, that is not being that I don't think that 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 it, it is a smooth or fast transition from what they're doing right now to real mind reading uh, that is I mean it is extremely useful what they're doing I, right. think it is, I mean extremely powerful too mm-hmm. but it is not the same because there is a there's a development in our computational methods that needs to um, that we need to go through. That we're that is actually happening as well. And, and, uh, and well, we, we're uh, basically Dig- integrating analog and digital processing okay. together. Yeah, that thing. Uh, yeah, it's that a, I've heard from yeah, you analog- 15 years ago. <laughs> right, what you heard from me 15 years ago, they're finally doing right.
0: Well, okay, less than 15. We didn't know each other 15 years ago, but 10 <laughs> years ago, all right, 10 years. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so so. I
0: remember I had the long hardest time understanding what does analog mean. I asked you like. A bunch of times, like, what does that mean? <laughs>
1: well, it's it is it's about simultaneous. It's massively parallel computing. It's simultaneous uh, operations that are not, uh, you know, that we, we our thoughts themselves, as we tend to think of our wakeful thoughts, are themselves stepwise. They go they go in a plotting, you know, from first to last sort of a manner, and that just simply is not. Uh, what's occurring when we, when we think of unconscious processing that is mixing of various com, uh, tons of different sets of data overlapping with each other simultaneously uh, and being able to understand the concepts of over uh, of data being overlapping is something that is kind of uh, necessary for understanding emergence and uh, yeah. a lot of these things just get kind of to the heart of the how reality works that we're really at the, at the very cusp of discovering all of these things simultaneously and, and uh, which is which is very good because uh we're 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 also at the cusp of of absolutely destroying ourselves and if we don't you know completely and utterly revolutionize our understanding of reality uh and and thereby you know advance massively forward in technology and uh, you know at a variety of scales and and in a variety of ways, we, we're, we're kind of doomed. So, so it's, it's, it's a good and bad thing that we're advancing so quickly in, in these technologies that are very scary and, you know, you have these, these mind reading things that really are real and, you know, and uh, uh, you know, people don't, people don't want to talk about it. I mean, I brought up the stuff about Carnegie Mellon over and over and over and <laughs> over and people just, they didn't, I never hear anybody say anything about it. Even when they're talking about, you know, a very, uh, you know, like they're very knowledgeable in neuroscience. They don't. They won't even talk about it. They just won't say a single word about it. I'd sit there and say, Hey, look at all this stuff that happened with Car- Carnegie Mellon. How, look how they're continuing to advance forward. They're making real, uh, real, you know, things that do stuff. In other words, these right. are these these. This is not some conceptual woo-woo that can't be proven. They're making devices that fucking do shit. Okay, mm. they're they're making inventions. Right. Uh, you know, these things do things. Uh, They're not, you know, it it is a a very reliable, completely proven system, and people still won't even talk about it. It's like it's too scary to even to even you know speak the words it's like you it's like they feel like they're they're invoking the devil you know by you say his name and it'll appear and it's like you say the name of mind reading and it will appear and it's like no sorry it's still gonna be there regardless of whether you stick your head in the sand and don't want to talk about it or not you know it's real at least let's get as
0: many eyes on it as possible the other problem is people want to believe in the magic in their head they want to
1: believe they're made up of magic and sorry you're not you're not made up of magic there's real mechanics going on that cause all of those things every single thing that you think of uh, as yourself it's just it gets really complex and there's the borderlines start to mix and then you have to consider levels that go beyond an individual brain and start to think about how your individual brain Uh, cooperates in a large-scale network and how that large-scale network then also communicates back down to your brain and so there's both top-down and bottom-up things occurring that make up you Mm -hmm. and understanding the the interplay of top down mechanics and bottom-up mechanics and how those two things happen simultaneously really only it's only through biology and through the complexities of biology that we can have we have a a good grasp of how those things work at all I mean it was just just 50 years ago the idea of having a system that can that can do both bottom-up and Top down simultaneously was just not really conceivable, but mm-hmm. it's our understanding of how uh, how yeah, biology like... uses emergence to create extremely complex systems, and and uh, as we begin to understand that more, we can begin, begin to see how it how that relates to all of reality, how we have these emergence. Uh, based systems all throughout reality and how top down and bottom up simultaneously and things like analog pro- uh, analog processing, all those things relate together is, is just now starting to come to the fore where lots of people are starting to get it.
0: Yeah, 10, 11 years ago is right when I was uh, learning psychology and neuroscience. And uh, it's funny you mention that because we were told, well, here's how the brain does things. There's the bottom up and then there's the top down. And these are the two separate systems. They <laughs> yeah. and these processes are top down. Well, these other processes are bottom up. And so, yeah, very, very distinctly uh, separated. Uh, um, so I would think that they would wouldn't necessarily believe that you could do both at once.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even governance itself—attempting—that's—that's uh, tra- my—it's my insistence that we'll only be able to create. I mean, that's what we're attempting to do with with uh, a democratic republic. The the entire mm-hmm. idea of our system of government governance is to attempt to do both bottom down and and uh, bottom up and top down
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, hierarchy simultaneously—a tangled hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the intention. That's a
0: terrible word, tangled. <laughs> Yeah. Like that sounds like it's something undesirable. Well, I, I'm using. <laughs> Hofstetter's I know, I know, but that's unfortunate because it we, we need to I know, it. you're right. I do. I
1: need to find a better. Uh, I, <laughs> I
0: need to create a better.
1: <laughs> I need to create better terminology around that. I agree, but the, for people who've read uh, any of Hofstetter's, you know, work that, that they that they would be familiar with that. Yeah, for sure. But um, so yeah, the the our attempt in governance. Has been to create that that type of system that biology has already created, in, in in the way that you know we're able to care for billions of cells, individuals that have their own needs of energy, they have their own output of garbage, unique they needs have of, uh, they unique have their outputs, own, unique needs, they have their own roles, they have all of these things, and we still care for billions of them with a with a very small loss comparative to you know the way that that uh, the rest of society is working, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and they they do determine. In other words, the way that that cells form and what they do, it actually is determined by the cells. But I mean, it's determined by the cells in an emergent fashion, and is reliant upon their situation, reliant upon. DNA. But that's just the way that it, that it works out. And yeah, DNA, but DNA is 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 both variable, right? And it's and it's dependent upon situation. And it yeah, is because part of that it can unroll and roll up and areas
0: up. that are not useful.
1: And it's just we really only understood. Uh, top-down control systems we really uh, that was for you know like I said just the past 50 years really the only thing humanity really grokked at all the only way the only thing that they really got was top-down control they just, mm-hmm. just the very idea of uh, you know the idea of bottom-up control we had a very general sort of yeah you have the people vote and, mm-hmm. uh, and then you do everything else top-down uh, you know it's like the you know it's There is a integration of the two that is only starting to, we're only starting to really get through all of these various analogies being uh, available to us through our better exploration of complex systems. And it's only through those analogies that we can really get a better understanding of how both top-down and bottom-up, it can exist simultaneously.
0: Um, so the genetic memory thing was that that wasn't um, on on its way to collective unconscious or yes
1: absolutely so genetic memory is is just another way of showing that so so you here you have genetic memory you have these uh, these things that have to do with brain structure okay so if you believe that the, the the brain is storing any damn thing then obviously it is uh, doing so by its phys- physical configuration and so its physical configuration is is determining where. You keep all these various words, where you keep various concepts. In other words, there and those things are preloaded. There is a we have a uh, hardware presets that have to do, you know, just like a computer does with all of the the various ways that we that you know, a computer addresses the hardware, the w- way that it writes data, all of those things. Our, our information that's preloaded into not just the structure of the hardware of your computer system, but also in the operating mm-hmm. system. All, you know, all the way down, all the way up to the operating system, all the way down to the BIOS. There are all these things that are preloaded that are necessary for the higher functioning of the computer. And the same thing is true of the brain. That uh, there are all of these preloaded um, underlying things that are part of genetic memory. They're part of. Uh, and, and they determine what is possible. In other words, there are they are a constraining set of circumstances that uh, that determine certain uh, they determine certain outcomes. In other words, within a very very wide range, there's a very wide range of things you can do with a computer, but there is a, there are limiting circumstances. You can't use a Windows computer to, you know, do some of the things that you can with, you know, Linux and, you know, yeah. others. I mean, you, there's ways to emulate, but it's not quite the same. Uh, they, and so, in other words, a, a server's hardware can be used to, to run one operating system or another, uh, and you end up with very different results of what, how well they do certain tasks uh, and, and all those things are related to the way that our brains are structured from you know, going back to very ancient sources that are related to DNA. So there is, you know, things like behaviors, things like uh, concepts. So the idea behind the collective unconscious is that we have these archetypes uh, that are stories that are, you know, ancient memory, mm-hmm. uh, ancient memory of, of things that that eventually it becomes very generalized. Of course, if you have, you know, these ancient memories of, of repeating things that occur in reality that have been captured by our genes that's why we have these various stories uh, that appeal to all humans that we we tell ourselves over and over because they are they are reflections of a collective unconscious now now young uh, I may have taken the well actually I I feel like he definitely did take the the deterministic top-down view of innovation too far in other words young uh, tended to believe that there that all new innovations and discoveries of individual scientists were determined by um, uh, by the coll- the collective instead and I believe that's wrong uh, I believe there is definitely once again a top-down and bottom-up sort of picture here we have the collective unconscious having to do with all the the uh, associations of the the underlying structures oh man okay the, I'm, I'm I'm getting too far afield here without building up the. You want the me to talk about
0: the. Well, no, I want to What I want to talk about to give some.
1: Uh, no, no, sort of, not, not that direction. I want to go the other direction, which is more hard science, and that is uh, cellular automata. Uh, or automata. <laughs> How do you pronounce that? Who knows? Uh, cellular um, uh, automata or cellular automata are, are very simple systems that, when in uh, combination with each other, end up creating complex behaviors. And uh, and if you have not looked into cellular automata, I recommend that you do so. It's a very uh, important conceptual framework to understanding how simple systems upon interacting can create complexity. And therefore, you can understand how it is the simple you know, firing of neurons uh, with each other uh, because of their, even though they have very sim- simplistic methods upon which they work, those simplistic methods can end up Uh, creating very um, complex outcomes and so understanding the uh, the complex complex outcomes of simple systems can relate you back to how it is that if you have all these human individual units that have memories that are all shared between them that makes up a system that is like cellular automata and that is we create hive minds because of the shared data between the various individuals that doesn't so,
0: seem like a strong the, the crossword puzzle phenomena is way more hard science evidence of collective conscious than no like no that. what i'm
1: talking about is because that's okay. that's assumption that's based a lot assumption based no, on okay okay no okay you so know how I'm yeah, well, you have to do what. Yeah, what, they're going to pick either one or the other. But here's, yeah. there has to be a logical path that makes sense to how these things can occur, true, true. and you have to have a, a set of logic that leads from yeah. from you know, right. the, the, where there's no magical magic in the middle explanation. There, there are various you know hard ways in which you can see the the outcomes there. But then, yeah, then there's also the evidence of collective unconscious. Uh, other you know, words process research
0: the points to evidence of it actually existing yeah the uh, the crossword puzzle phenomena by Monica England is, is something that is usually brought up in that case um, and it actually was put together by a Richard linkletter in the 2001 film waking life which is a great film and it removed about half a fear of death from me uh, <laughs> so I definitely recommend watching waking life it, it has some some soul medicine
1: uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think it may be. Uh, it, it, it could be. I it think could it's go either way, edged. I guess. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a two edged sword there. Yeah,
0: but in in this was way 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 back in the day. So. Just because
1: something makes you happy doesn't make, it mean it makes you healthy. <laughs>
0: well, it didn't make me happy. Just removed dread.
1: Yeah. So th- there are some things that can help r- uh, remove existential dread, right, but yeah. are not necessarily not for
0: everyone necessarily. Not, not necessarily
1: good for for long term outcomes.
0: Um, in, um, this was way back in uh, 1991. Um, It was an issue of Noetic uh, Sciences Bulletin. Um, Monica England published research on crossword puzzles. Um, So she was a graduate uh, University of Nottingham, and Nottingham. And um, it never made it into a more traditional journal because of course people were a little put off by the implications. And so what ended up happening is that um, She heard, um, well there's folklore anyway in England, um, commonly heard folklore among people dedicated to solving the most difficult newspaper crossword puzzles. And some people believe that the crosswords would actually be easier in the evening or the next day after publication. So uh, they decided to do research on that. They put people in um, uh, isolation and then they gave them crossword puzzles to solve. Um, And uh, they, uh, so let me give you the exact details of how they did it. Monica England studied uh, crossword puzzles found in the February 15th, 1990 issue of the Evening Standard. So this was a year before the study uh, was being done. Uh, England's experiments consisted of, so it's in England by a person named England. It's very confusing. England's experiments consisted of multiple test groups, which she studied both before and after these crossword puzzles were published. And of course the groups were isolated, they had no way of, getting these published puzzles. Uh, England also had each group complete a crossword puzzle from the issue of the Evening Standard uh, that had been published 10 days before as her control. Ultimately, Monica England found that her test subjects had a 5% increase in their relative scores after the crossword puzzle, uh, puzzles were published in London.
1: So. And so that that is uh, a uh, that's a, a p-value that is, is considered significant.
0: Yes. Uh, and Monica England's research on the CrossFit puzzle, uh, puzzle phenomena is clear argument for the existence of collective unconscious. What other reason could there be for this and other proven phenomena of mental connection between all human beings? Uh, with the hundred monkey effect, researchers saw a transmission of knowledge between colonies of monkeys on one island to colonies of monkeys on other islands. Furthermore, the hidden face experiment found that individuals had an easier time finding a face hidden within a picture. After many other people had learned where the face was located, in this line of experiments, England's research on crossword puzzles clearly points to the existence of collective unconscious.
1: Okay, so here's the thing. Now, what I uh, I have a problem with what they're intimating here. They're intimating that it, that it's that there is, uh, even though I do believe in electromagnetic communication between brains, uh, I I do not like where they're taking this specific. Uh, where they're intimating what is the cause of these things, because it is not necessary to uh, to suppose electromagnetic communication between brains that is uh, that is useful um, in this specific context of being able to solve crossword puzzles better. Because here's the thing, uh, let, let's let's assume that that it is a um, that it's an effect that's been replicated, that it's you know that it is uh, good science and not just you know problems in their their results or whatever, and let's say that it actually is uh, occurring, period. And uh, in which case there are there are all of these things having to do with priming that we are aware of, mm-hmm. where, that where biases and priming and things like that can happen because of well, Elizabeth simply, Loftus
0: did years of research on simply saying a hey, uh, eyewitness testimony. Uh, right. It, yeah, but the point is, is, is j- there are very problem.
1: subtle connections between concepts mm-hmm. that you could be talking about what basically feels like a different subject matter, mm-hmm. and because you are lighting up various concepts in a person's mind, because of the conversation, because of the communication between people, mm-hmm. you can make a subject matter be more likely to be what a person is thinking about in a group. In other words, there you'll find that there is a coordination between various individuals in groups that occurs because of the fact that they are all thinking about similarly related concepts because of the because concepts themselves have relations and so simply because there is these there a lot of people who are thinking about a crossword puzzle and the associations between the various words and the things that they're attempting to do in the crossword puzzle that information can be uh, the associative information can be communicated through people communicating about other topics Hmm. because of the the trajectory of thought that it creates through the the semantic threads right the semantic threads but that is collective unconscious that's Mm -hmm. what that is that is a mechanism for collective it's like telepathy but not really it's not not it's not it is it It is is a redefined telepathy (laughs) right it is a person-to-person actual real communication that relies upon uh, so that has negative
0: space information.
1: Right. It's, uh, there, are con- There's contextual cues mm-hmm. that because of the associative nature of the information, because it, it creates a context, it makes it more likely that that context will then, you know- Survive, uh, pass on. Right. Will also be there in the minds of a person trying to solve a, um, a Um, A a crossword puzzle in other words there is an increase of
0: and those puzzles are pre-made each day by by people who are making them and they're selecting the words it's the probability
1: it is an increased probability of various concept sets Mm -hmm. created by the activity of those concept sets in a group which Mm -hmm. also relies upon probabilities of concept sets to be their general you know, to direct their thought to some level or yeah, another. Yeah, the
0: fact that there's a, there's a very rigid uh, relation between things in a crossword puzzle. Um, in other words, you have to have them fit with each other. That that, yeah. that definitely. And I mean, and the, I'm
1: all for the, the the idea that that minds can communicate with each other electromagnet- electromagnetically over far greater distances than uh, people want to believe. And mm-hmm. you you have to look into the how how little well how sensitive sharks are for instance to electromagnetism biological sensitivity to electromagnetism is many many orders of magnitude greater than people tend to generally believe or have experience with in any kind of designed object that we create in other words our, our ability to make sensors our best our very best technological equipment cannot differentiate or sense uh, signals that biological uh, technology has achieved. In other words, like in sharks in particular. Not
0: to mention the, the fascinating new research coming out uh, from people being able to sense the vibe of a place based on whether there was tears or sweat or other neurochemicals uh, or pheromones exposed in that area beforehand. So we actually have sensors that even we don't realize we have.
1: Yeah, tons of sensors. There. The the, Kim- uh, the the fact that people are are more attracted to someone who has the uh, major histocompatibility complex that is di- that is m- most different from them you know is it, that's just huge how much that that we we believe uh, oh yeah i just decided i like this person yeah, i was attracted to him no there's a million different things that that were influencing some, your some people will take it further far. and
0: they'll be like well maybe i was when i was in my formative years i saw a person who looked like that and that's what no not that it goes even deeper than that it yeah, <laughs> goes even yeah, exactly. further it's than
1: all that. of and that's the thing is it's always all of those yeah. things we want to pick complexity man that's want, our ultimate topic right. for patrons. We, we anyway. want to always pick that there was one source of something mm-hmm. because that is a useful way yeah. of doing things. You need to know what is the highest probability thing whenever you're whenever you're building a view of reality that it, that you want to be able to plan around. You want to be able to to try to you know, man man plans, God laughs is is funny because of this specific problem, is that we do have to be able to plan, and so therefore we do have to oversimplify the causal chain of things, but that causal chain is an illusion. There are, uh, you know, we try to pick something that seems to be the most, the largest contributor to what is causing a certain thing, but there are so many other things that are simultaneously causal in any given event. And so, so you know, we, we need that illusion of uh, that that is the cause of things, but it's it's so many other things combined. So, is there uh, some interesting things in chat? I know you were you were keeping up with chat. Though. I'm
0: just so, keeping up with chat, uh, <laughs> <excellent>. <laughs> scrolling or uh, skimming. That's the word. Um, but no, I I do. Um, it's it's a it's a tricky subject because once again like how do you talk about hard science but then also make the logical leaps necessary to talk about future science in order to you know predict and envision and prepare for the future and then you'll you'll have the, you know that group of people who will always be like well you can't make that uh, assumption you can't you know that's there's not enough well they can't know.
1: make that assumption that's the thing is that yeah. because they they uh, there's there are limitations one can you, you when you limit your mind to a very to more and more and more to try to be more perfect mm-hmm. uh, that perfection itself uh, eliminates the ability to recognize patterns I mean they if you were to pattern recognition is an exercise in in uh, error I mean, that's there's a you have to have a level of error to be able to pattern recognize anything and so people who uh, who are very perfectionist about um, the way the way they're very fastidious about the, and the the methods by which they compose their knowledge and the way in which they um, uh, uh, allow uh, any kind of, uh, of leaps of association are um, they basically can limit themselves down to the point in which their minds become like a computer where there is no ability to um, to really predict, per se, with, uh, where, in other words, they, they lose, you can basically limit your mind to the point at which you're no longer really a human intellect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and lots of pedantic people tend to do that. And it's like, well, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't, yeah, that's true, you can't do it with any level of perfection. You can only, uh, it, you know, you have to have an acceptable level of error, of mm-hmm. course, that's part of what makes uh, human minds more powerful, is the fact that they can have an acceptable level of error and that sometimes that level of error goes haywire absolutely that is part of what makes a human intelligence superior to a computer intelligence it is the, the that ability to have a greater level of error that gives us a, a greater level of pattern recognition and be and able to basically fit various things into the white space of the knowledge that we have, because of course the knowledge that we have may be associated incorrectly. It is, it may be missing vast, vast swaths of data. There's all these things that are uh, you know that are problematic. It's
0: fascinating you're talking about that uh, specifically because I have one last segue to go into a patron after show. However, looking on this uh, Peterson's um, three uh, three forms of meaning. It's it's a fairly lengthy article, you know, like five, 10 pages, just like a basic article. Um, and I actually would like to do another article um, review like we did last time, except this time I think we're going to agree with him because uh, I'd like to read just the, the first paragraph and this will segue us perfectly into the Terrence McKenna, Jordan Peterson video we have for patrons and prime us for next week where we'll discuss this entire article by Jordan okay. Peterson. Okay. Um, So this is from 2013, but uh, it starts off with the complexity of the world. Most psychological models, even those as sophisticated as Gray, 1982, are based on the assumption that the world is made of objects existing independently and given, or more abstractly, of stimuli. That assumption is incorrect. The boundaries between objects or stimuli are largely situation dependent and subjectively determined. Half our brain is devoted to vision. This indicates that we do not simply see what is there. The quote, frame problem, quote, encountered by AI engineers producing sensory systems for machines provides another indication of perceptions complexity. This profound problem, the infinite search space for perceptual representation, looms over all other current psychological concerns. We live in a sea of complexity, uh, and this is uh, referenced to Peterson and Flanders 2002, I'm assuming it's his own um, other paper of his, we live in a sea of complexity. The boundaries of the objects we manipulate are not simply given by those objects. Every object or situation can be perceived in an infinite manner of ways. An infinite number of ways. And each action or event has an infinite number of potential consequences. Thus, as the robotics engineer Brooks points out, echoing Esneck, perception in is the essence of intelligence and the hard part of the problem being solved. The world does not present itself neatly, like rows of tins on a shelf. Nature cannot be easily cut at her joints. We frame our objects by eradicating vast swaths of information intrinsically part of those objects and categories, but irrelevant to our current subjectively defined purposes. How do we manage this miracle of simplification? We will address this question from a neurodevelopmental and evolutionary perspective.
1: Yes, so the simplification is what we think of as wakeful uh, consciousness, and it is a tiny, tiny picture of our actual consciousness and it's what what people tend to think of most most frequently but it's kind of a paltry you know uh, it's crap compared to what we are uh really going on on the inside that more that more analog process that's combining vast swaths of of information simultaneously that's that is taking basically dealing with overlapping uh multi-layered data
0: um let's see if we have any um particular chat that we'd like to cover let's see let's see anything recently bilateral symmetry blah, blah, blah. <laughs> i wonder if decentralizing medical and veterinary treatment home visits would produce radically better results because you wouldn't be bringing ill creatures into a concentration of pheromonal and electromagnetically communicated misery uh you know interesting point on that uh i, I maybe um Not not a specific answer to that, but there definitely is evidence of the fact that the clinical sterilized environment of hospitals is not good for uh, humans, uh, and not just for the the, the sea of bacteria, et cetera, that is there, but a lot of it actually has to do with how white and hard and laminated and, and cemented everything is. In fact, there's compelling research to show that nature just simply looking out a window at trees versus at a brick wall speeds up recovery by three whole days and uh, and of course there are things like touch and um, more uh, because of safety and legality concerns and things like that we are touching each other less and less and sterilizing relationships and items and making things boxed in and cemented and
1: oversimplifying them
0: and we're we're paving over the unsanitary earth with deathly fucking metal. Yes, we're taking
1: complex systems that that are absolutely necessary, like even just down to egg washing. Egg washing itself makes eggs more more dangerous.
0: I didn't even know that was a thing until last week. Yeah. (laughs) Because I grew up in a place where like, yeah, sometimes you're gonna have some specks of poop on your egg and then you break the shell and no problem, you throw it away, you don't need it. Why would you ever need to wash an egg? What are you talking about? And I didn't even know that was a thing. The
1: internals of the egg are, uh, are protected by Coatings that are washed off, which is why it's illegal to, to wash eggs in other countries, even though we do it here. And, and so, I
0: had no idea that eggs were a cause of salmonella. And, and basically, until it's I came mon- to America. this
1: idea of monocultures and you know people don't understand the dangers of. Uh, I mean, just having the right. System, uh, the biological system on your skin can change whether or not you have huge skin issues. Biological
0: systems in your stomach, like probiotics, can change. And it's
1: always the complexity and interaction of the 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 varied systems that leads to a more robust solution. And understanding that robust solutions are far more complex is something. Therefore, difficult. Right, and therefore difficult and
0: time-consuming.
1: Difficult to pre- to create, difficult to balance,
0: difficult di- to manage. Yes,
1: uh, and <laughs> cannot be managed in a top-down fashion. No, uh, those those things are something that's really not been understood because of the the short-term efficacy of simplicity. When it comes to short-term solutions, things that only work for a very short term and may actually cause massive damage in the long and term. And
0: are sometimes necessary to immediately be you know right. on it.
1: Uh, we we have started to master short-term things. As a matter of fact, the, the doctors that are the very best yeah. are, are trauma doctors. Those are the ones who actually know what the fuck they're doing because they have to do something that has to do with Immediacy. Mm-hmm. Now, the drugs that they use can be very damaging in the long term. You especially do not want to be exposed to a wide variety of those drugs over any long period of time. Uh, the, the, the things that they have to do, you certainly wouldn't want done frequently mm-hmm. or you know over any long period of time. However, they are effective in the short term. Mm-hmm. So there are simplistic methodologies that are very direct, very top down. Those things have a massive amount of efficacy in the short term term mm-hmm. and the thing is if you do, but they, they also cause damage over the long term. so there's automatically a balance that you must be looking at because those things that are effective in the short term are almost invariably damaging to the long term. And so being able to understand that is something that we're just now fucking coming to because all of our various systems were based on short-term solutions that looked like they had massive benefits, but the the massive benefits were short-term.
0: But the way you manage short-term and long-term are also wildly different and we need both. And that's something that I've started to introduce in our conversations about left, right, you know, up, down, men, women, like all of that. It's like, or specifically in terms of, you know, um, do we do we conserve or or do we liberate the funds or resources Do we are we conservatives or are we liberal like that whole argument it's like well, it's no just, no do you live
1: in the moment or do you live for the future exactly and, and like, you like, need well,
0: different strategies for both
1: right and if you live entirely you in the balance. moment you destroy the future and if you live entirely in the future you destroy the moment yeah you know, it's like exactly it's, there is a uh, there is a you
0: need top down and bottom up at the same time. Right. And there's <laughs> a
1: there's a cycling homeostasis that people think of as uh, you know complexity that that nature has solved all of these com- very related problems. There these are these the this this understanding of complexity is something that is a solution that, that that it's a commonality to a wide a vast array of solutions to basically everything in reality. The the complexity and this this harmony of apparent opposites uh, that have to do with the mutual exclusivity of you know short-term versus long-term what's good for the group versus the group for the individual all of those things are um, they're interdependent uh, and they're not actually as much mutually exclusive but but mutually dependent and uh, and there is a tangled hierarchy between them that has to do with it that that they it has to be solved through simultaneous sorts of things. It has to be done through analog processing.
0: Yeah, I was going to hold back the uh, the priming for our uh, next show, but I'm thinking, uh, I'll just go ahead, since you said individual and group, I think I'll just go ahead and say it. Um, I would like to discuss the Jordan Peterson um, article or whatever, publication from the book next week, and then the week after that, I'd like to go full controversy mode and uh, go collectivism versus individualism. Yes,
1: because you need both.
0: You do need both, and I would like to talk about the benefits one's of both. And one's more
1: short-term and one's more long-term.
0: And there's benefits and drawbacks of both, and, I, and I'd definitely like to discuss that because it's something that comes up a lot where people uh, have very specific definitions of both individualism and collectivism and it and it correlates with their party line and things like that. And I would like to just add more nuance and, um, and the attempt research. In <laughs> and, and the attempt
1: to say one is good and the other is bad. Right. And because they want to believe one is good and the other is bad when in fact, well, both okay. are good for different reasons exactly. and both are bad for different reasons.
0: It's okay to have a personal <laughs> preference. For instance, I have a personal preference towards collectivism, but not in the current world. Currently, I don't think there's a single fucking culture that I would want to be a collectivist with. Mostly, almost. Um, point is collectivism relies on having a good culture that you can become a part of, but a lot of times, if the culture and the group is toxic, then you have to be an individual. So you know. Yeah, so um, there,
1: it is it is incumbent upon uh, the individual to to basically revolutionize, disrupt a bad which is system. destroy the uh, the collective system. If that system is is itself destructive, however, it is incumbent upon the individual to cooperate with the to larger system civilization. And, uh, to be able to if, if that system is functional and yes. useful and valuable. And exactly. so there's a you know there the there is not a universal good to being a rebel, and there's not a universal uh, uh, evil to being a uh, a conformist. They're both there's there there there's both a time and place where each of those is an evil and each of those is a good dependent upon the contextual situation.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to bring neuroscience and psychology research into it to uh, underscore our points and to provide this idea that you have to inject long term and short term into these uh, considerations. You have to start thinking of are we trying to fix it right now or are we trying to create a system that will be functional hundred years from now. Uh, And also, but of course it requires maintenance and other things and so forth and so on, but complexity is a thing. And we're gonna hear about complexity from Terrence McKenna and Jordan Peterson in just a couple of minutes with our patrons. So um, that's gonna be a thing Um, in just a minute. So I suppose, let me double check if we've got any new, anything, I'm not missing anything. Um, Let's see if there's any chat. Points.
1: And even without saying the word noosphere, we've kind of been talking about the, 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 all of the underlying mechanics for uh, the noosphere concept.
0: <laughs> My brother gave me some eggs from his chickens. His wife started to explain about the stuff on the eggshells. My brother was like, don't worry, he knows where eggs come from. <laughs> 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 the cloaca. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, so that, I didn't even know that was a thing that uh, there was a, a coating that gets washed off. Because, like, well, I we've never washed eggs in Russia. But also, another thing we did in Russia is when you're, you know, wanting a little uh, um, breakfast of champions, you go to your fridge, take out an egg, pop open a little hole in it with your nail, and drink that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Americans looked at me like I was out of my mind when I did that. It's like what? What do you? Ta- what? Why? And what? in the
1: context of <laughs> industrial farming in the U.S., which that would be uh, insanely dangerous. Egg, egg, <laughs> egg washing—it is dangerous. It's just they're you,
0: right to look at me like I'm crazy because you were
1: in the context <laughs> of it was, American agriculture. Right, right it's a bad thing. In yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, so, in the context where you came from, it was
0: not. No, no. So, so yeah. Context, complexities, meanings—it's a thing. Uh, that we're going to keep talking about with our patrons in just a little bit by listening to Terrence McKenna and Jordan Peterson. And then next week, next Monday, we'll go over this uh, Three Levels of Meaning by Jordan Peterson. Hopefully, I can throw his name up in the uh, title, get some clickbait, uh, get some clickbait views, some some downvotes. <laughs> <laughs> so far, Cherry Stem has been uh, not downvoted pretty much ever. <laughs> nice. So... <laughs> I mean, I mean, wait a minute, <laughs>
1: if they're not hating on us, have they are doing something wrong <laughs> Right, right
0: uh, Well, I mean, people listen for like five minutes and then they outvote. So I'm like, well, thanks I mean, thanks for that, that's something uh, I would prefer you stay here the whole time and didn't give any votes But, you know, I'll take what I can get um, but, but, yeah, so we'll Oh, we'll... Uh, no,
1: no, I want both I, Yeah, I, it's really...
0: want both uh, So, yeah, we're going to be going over to um, Discord So if you're a patron, join us in the Discord chat in the next couple of minutes we will be ending the stream in just a moment
1: corporate accounts speaking just a, just a moment, moment.
0: <laughs> um yeah let's get us some
1: oh there was that associative memory thing and shared experience i wonder yeah. how many people I, who, who i just lit up some concepts and memories and, so, and uh how many minds just now without ever saying exactly what i was referring to
0: definitely in mine Well, I mean, that's what memes and and references are all about, is lighting up concepts in each other's minds without saying a word about them. Because those semantic threads, man, they're a real thing. Um, But we certainly like to think of them as existing in this case, but anytime it comes to any kind of uh, existential uh, anxiety or or any kind of who are we, why are we here, are we animals, are we magic, uh, they may not may not believe in those semantic threads as much when, when they don't want to. But, uh, but you know, that, that's the whole point, is that you have elephants in your brain. You're welcome to keep them there. But you'd probably have a more effective life and more effective way of reaching your goals if you didn't. So, you know, do, do what you will, but it, it probably is important to try to be radically honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the stream and otherwise. And we shall see you next Monday. Love your faces. (laughs) Love
1: your faces. I know, like, people, (laughs) it's a new thing to, uh, I wish we could, like, pop up his face on the screen as we said that, like, dude did. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We will see you all in a week. Have a good rest of your day, rest of your week. Um,
1: Rest of your life.
0: <laughs> Check out patreon.com/cherry for public uploads of all the previous thirty plus something uh, episodes of Cherry Stem, and one of these days will be on the Spotify.
1: keep a positive outlook. We got we got to believe. We got to believe in a future that we want, and we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna do this thing.
0: What dreams may come? Yes. Let us dream, dreamers. <laughs> See you next week.